Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 368. I am Peter and joining me is Matt. Hey, what's cracking? This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together and we talk about the DC books we read this week. Uh, coming up on today's show, we have Night Terror's Batman issue 2, Night Terror's Poison Ivy issue 2, Night Terror's Ravager issue 2, and we called the the line was drawn in the sand there. But we also have <laughs> Adventures of Superman, John Kent issue 6, Justice Society of America issue 5, along with City Boy issue 3, and I'll be doing a Patreon book. Uh, this week I'll be talking about American Vampire The Long Road to Hell Issue 1 uh, so that is what's coming up on the show so mm -hmm. uh, uh, buckle in and there is I think one bit of news and you know the other favourite segment which we'll get mm -hmm. to in uh, due course uh, how was your week Matt? very stressful uh, I work at a school school's getting ready to start and it's very stressful I'm, I'm happy this week is over so, I suppose I suppose it is. Uh, we're in August now. I guess we're we're getting close yeah. to it. Which actually, for me, that just means movie theaters are going to be back to being quiet uh, <laughs> on the weekdays, yeah. and I am more than happy with that fact. Quite frankly, I back when I was in school, it didn't start until midway through August, and now with, with them, you know, having school end earlier, like before Memorial Day, the end of May. We're starting earlier, and it just, like, I feel like it's too hot to start right now. Like, we need to be closer to September. So. Yeah. My, when I was in school, the summer holidays were basically always the last week of June to about the second or third week of August. That tended to be roughly yeah. where it fell. So, yeah, it's just, it's hot. It's, I mean, it's not as hot as it has been. Apparently, we had to think on the heat dome. Uh, that went through our area uh, a couple two weeks. Two will enter, one will leave. Yeah, that's basically what it felt like. Uh, you had to survive it. And, and now it's heading towards the, the middle of the country. So they're, they're getting those. But yeah, man, it's rough times. So uh, I'm, just, I'm just happy to be inside right now. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have the three adventures to report this week. Um, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to go see the new Turtles movie. I'll be going to see mm -hmm. that early next week. It's been getting nice. a lot of good buzz. So, yep. Yeah, we'll I wanna, uh, wanted to see that too, but we had stuff to do. So maybe tomorrow. Yeah, sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, so fair enough. What we'll get into then? I know Matt's. Uh, I know what Matt needs to cheer him up after a, a long. No, rough that's week. not true. That, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> Matt needs some numbers. He needs some order. To the chaos. <laughs> He's the order of a top ten. It's the comicsology top ten, everyone. Hey. <laughs> okay. I said I'm just happy to be inside. I recant. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel like you take it back now. Uh, so yeah, we're looking at Tuesday and Wednesday as of right now on Comicsology, which is the comic section of Kindle these days, for the record, in case anyone's looking for it. Uh, but yeah, so what do you think number one was on Tuesday? Um, I want to say it's Justice Society. I want to, but I'm going to say it's Batman. No. Oh man, is it either of those? No. Is it Superman? It's Adventures of Superman. John Let's Kent. go. All yeah. right. Yep, that's number one uh, as of right now. 
Uh, I always say what was number one on Tuesday, but that technically sounds like I'm saying what was number one on Tuesday when really right. it's what's number from one Tuesday. from Tuesday. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So Avengers of Superman uh, is number one. Number two is Justice Society of America. Hey. Uh, so that's cool. And then number three is Night Terror's Batman. Uh, four is Night Terror's Joker. Five is Peacemaker tries hard. So mm-hmm. very good. Uh, six is Steelworks. Seven is Night Terror's Poison Ivy. Eight is Night Terror's Black Adam. Nine is the Sandman Universe special. And then ten is Night Terror's Ravager, with City Boy just missing out and being yeah. number 11. Uh, notably, the collection for Swamp Thing Green Hell is at number 13. So okay. just, just letting people know that's out. It's really good. Go, go check it out if you haven't. So, okay. Cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a weird week. I mean, I like to see... You know the Tom Taylor and uh, GSA books mm-hmm. outselling all the Night Terror stuff, and we kind of saw this last week as well. Is it seems like yeah. the one or two like consistent regular books that didn't take these this couple of months off are starting to consistently be selling more, at least the bigger ones. Obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I didn't think Steelworks was going to beat the event books, but right, you know, uh, it's nice to see all the same. So. Uh, that's Tuesday, and as always, we'll have a glimpse at Wednesday. See, see what that looks like. You got a, got a guess. I, I don't see two. I don't see a tie-in in the top of mine, but I'm gonna go with X Men Twenty Five. It is X Men Twenty Five. It's, it's it's a boring guess yeah, and X, answer. But... X Book and Batman sales. Who would have guessed? Nineteen uh, yeah. nineties again. <laughs> uh, number two is Astonishing Iceman. Uh, number three is Magneto, which is just further proving your point because those are both X Men characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a solo Iceman and a solo Magneto book are outselling Fantastic Four at number four. Uh, Scarlet Witch at number five. Well, that one's not surprising. I wouldn't expect Scarlet Witch to outsell yeah. like, other X Men characters, but although she is also an X Men character, technically. True. Uh, number six is Doctor Strange. Number seven is The Sacrificers, issue one. Not Marvel. This is a Rick Remender. Uh, creator on book by the looks of it uh, number 8 is Star Wars Dark Droids number 9 is Conan the Barbarian uh, so there's a new Conan yeah. book out apparently uh, and then number 10 is Amazing Spider-Man Annual I was like, I was glad I saw the word annual because I was going to say if that's the next regular issue of Amazing Spider-Man that's... under all these that would be disastrous three fall <laughs> Oh, yeah, so... And so that, that Conan book isn't from Marvel, it's from Titan Publishing. Uh, and it's uh, from Jim I Zub. I didn't mean to suggest it was from Marvel. Oh, okay. I just, when he said a new Conan book, I thought, because they had the license for a hot second. Oh, did uh, they? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was enough. reading... Um, well, it was... it was um, What's his name? On the art. He did work with... Um, on Thor. Why am I drawing a blank? Anyways, the art looked great. Uh, Jason Aaron's Conan was okay from what I read. But yeah. Mm. Ribic. Now it come to me. But yeah, it was Aaron and Ribic doing Conan uh, the last time I had seen it. So. Uh, as worth mentioning, this is listed as a digital exclusive, this Conan book. So I don't know if it oh. just means there's bonus digital content or if just right. the book in general is digital only. Right, right. But uh, very good. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh no, there is also an issue one that's not digital exclusive, which is also in this chart. Which is okay. interesting. They're selling it regular digital, but also the digital exclusive version. Right. Weird. Uh, 
but yeah, the, the regular one is down at like, I don't know, 19, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I don't know what's going on there, but very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Was it an exciting top 10 this week, I'll admit, but hey. You got to do it. You got to be consistent with the format. Yep. If nothing else, I, it upsets Matt. Yeah, that's true. And I also like to see Tom Taylor at the top. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, as far as news goes, there was no comic book specific news this week, uh, which makes sense because, you know, Comic-Con then solicits, you know, happened sort of back to back over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a baffling bit of DC movie news this week. Uh, which is just murky in the waters as far as I'm concerned. And that is that Gal Gadot is claiming that she is working with James Gunn and Peter Safran to develop a Wonder Woman 3, which, if you're, going to, if you're, if you're rebooting, then just freaking reboot. Like, what, what is this? Why, why are we maybe having her back as Wonder Woman? Like, and it's not that I thought she was bad as Wonder Woman necessarily, but... She was fine. It was the story that the stories that she was associated with were maybe not the best. I mean, one 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 was was solid enough with mm-hmm. a dodgy third act. Nineteen eighty four yeah. was terrible. You guys don't understand how upset that movie made me. <laughs> but that's even besides the point. Even if the, her two movies were amazing, she's still part. She's part of that Zack Snyder Justice yeah. thing. She's part of that world. It just. This just murkies the waters and like, is it really a reboot if we're keeping some of the major stars from the previous run? Like, like this would have been like keeping Eric Bana in Incredible Hulk, (laughs) right? I'm just you either you're either having a fresh start as a promise to the audience that this isn't going to be like the last you know several movies, Mm -hmm. or you're not, and you can't really have it both ways. So I think this is just kind of bad news, quite frankly. Uh, If it's true do you think this is just like when you have a little cousin and you give him a controller but it's not connected so it feels <laughs> like they're playing so like yeah sure gal we're gonna develop something it's like don't don't pick up the phone call anymore you know i mean that feels still like the most likely thing to happen yeah. is they just won't go anywhere and then when yeah. they eventually want to do wonder woman again it's like oh it's been 10 years i'm sorry yeah. gal we, we need someone yeah. who's you know under 40 now so you know not that she's yeah. not that she's, she's over 40 just now but you know what i mean no. like uh, when time passes, they'll they'll maybe yeah. be able to use that as an excuse. Yeah, I mean, so when weird. was the last time she was in something where she wasn't Wonder Woman? Like, she's not a prolific actress. Like, we I don't see her in a lot of stuff. The only other <sighs> movie I've seen her in is the is the Fast movies. She was in the uh, Netflix movie with The Rock. Okay. Don't ask me what the name of it was because I don't remember. But... <laughs> yeah, there's that she... action one with um with Ryan Reynolds, right? Yes, yes, that, that sounds right. Yes. Uh, yeah, so she's basically got this now. Uh, although maybe they'll somehow bring her back in Fast and the Furious. They've done weirder things in that franchise. They, apparently, they brought Han back, so he was in the trailers. <laughs> <laughs> so, who knows? Oh, um, what a time! The movies are wild. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the last time we heard about a Wonder Woman three, for the record, was when, um, like basically, Patty Jenkins left the the, the project and. Basically, it seemed to be that Gunn and Saffron said, yeah, all the plans they were drawing up for their third Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman movie didn't really fit in with anything we were doing with the universe. And what's funny about that to me, which which sounds like a reasonable thing to say, but what's funny about that to me is that 
I also think that Wonder Woman 1984 did not fit with anything that was going on in any of the other... Because even at the time, it was like, this is weird. Like, Justice League sort of, like... like The Justice League movie in Batman v Superman acted as if Wonder Woman hadn't really been in the public eye since World War One. Like, she'd been in hiding mm-hmm. this whole time. And then all of a sudden, we've got all this stuff in 1984, and she's been operating for decades, and all the rest of it. It really felt like... Patty Jenkins just wanted, didn't care about the shared universe and just wanted to yeah. ignore it, which may be the right choice in a lot of ways. But I think it's just funny to me that they got away with it with that one. But now that technically someone is supposed to be overseeing it all and making it all work together, they're like, yeah, this, mm-hmm. this third movie you had planned isn't going to work. Uh, and, you know, also that second movie was dog shit. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. all of it's kind of weird even, to me. <laughs> not even Pedro Pascal could save it. No, you know? no. He was actively pretty hammy in that as well. And, yep. you know, I, I like him in many a thing, but mm-hmm. uh, not so much that. Um, although, I will say this, he at least seemed like he was having fun yes. in that movie. I'll give him that much. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my final point in this would just be, it's either a fresh start or it isn't, and this makes it feel like it's not a fresh start, so don't do it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I just don't I understand recasting Superman and, and doing everything, you know, from the ground up there with Legacy, but then going back to Gal Gadot for... It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't like... You know, it's not like they recast one or two characters in Superman and, and Cavill's coming back. I mean, if you were going to keep her you know? separate in the same way that uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman is not right. part of the universe, then okay. Is it still a bit weird because it's part of the old shared universe, but whatever, yeah. I guess that kind of works. Uh, but this, this, you know, at the face of it, this sounds like it's supposed to fit in with everything, which just feels like let it die. I mean, Aquaman two already feels like this weird afterthought of a movie that's just coming out to die whenever it does yeah. eventually come out. Yeah, and I, I'm not even like I. I wonder if there's a legal reason why they can't write it off for tax reasons, and that's why it's still coming out. Because I yeah. believe fully that they would have just canned it if if they could get yeah. enough money back. James Wan must have something in his contract. Either that, I know uh, this is a kind of a separate thing, but there's a video game uh, called Skull and Bones, a pirate ship game, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which was announced years ago. Ubisoft were making it, and it's been like basically like they restarted development on it. They basically scrapped Mm -hmm. everything they had at one point after years of work and started again. And most of the time, when you get that severe, it would just be cancelled. But apparently because they got a tax break from one specific country in Europe, mm-hmm. they illegally have to release it at some point, so it's still coming. And I'm just wondering if, like, some of these movies, like, have something like that, where because they got, like, a, you know, a grant because they were shooting in us. Because yeah. when you watch a movie to the end of the credits, you'll notice a lot of the time you'll get, like, oh, uh, the Tor- T- Toronto Film Commission Fund, uh-huh. you know, gave to this movie, so they'd shoot in Toronto. And it, you know, and the reason yeah. why they do that is because it pumps a lot of jobs into the, the city and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. But because of that, that's, like, a reason why they have to release the finished movie at some point. I'm wondering if some of these movies might have went in the way of Batgirl, but because they had maybe, you know, either something like that or some legal thing somewhere else... That just meant we can't scrap yeah. Aquaman two, or we can't scrap uh, potentially Blue Beetle as well. Uh, right. Well, you know. Yeah, I feel like Blue Beetle's too far along at this point for them to have, you know just pull it. Oh, it is I've now, but, much- but, yeah. but when they pulled Batgirl, like, everyone thought Blue Beetle was going to go as yeah. well because it felt like it's yeah. the same size, give or take, if not smaller. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Every time someone brings up the Batgirl film, and I don't know if it was going to be good or bad or whatever, but it, it had. 
potential and it and it saddens me. It was probably honestly it. it was probably going to be a six out of ten at best, and that's yeah. you know that's whatever. But <clears throat> it, it's the the precedent they have set with doing that is a, a scary one. Which uh, it is, it is. You know, we'll see, we'll see. But uh, there you go. That's uh. The Wonder Woman movie drama. And again, all the actors and writers are on strike right now, so don't expect anything happening anytime soon anyway, regardless yeah. of uh, who's saying what. Mm-hmm. So, which is a good question, actually. Should Gal Gadot be talking about potential projects to anyone right now? I don't know. That's all murky type stuff right now. I know Stephen Amell caught some flack this week. Oh, which... and rightfully, because he was being a yeah. dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But I'm saying... The stuff that came out, I did not realize that the, you know, the uh, Grant Gustin meme of the the peace sign in front of Ollie's grave. Yeah. I didn't realize there was a story behind that. It wasn't just him being silly. Um, but it was apparently Stephen Amell was such a nightmare to work with that they were all happy that his character got killed off. Um, <laughs> and that was the first I was hearing of this. So I, I didn't know if you had heard about it. I, I don't think I heard about that. I mean, Carter was yeah. telling me this week that Stephen Amell hates that meme. Yeah, and that uh, makes me think there's some truth to it if that's the case. Maybe, maybe that's why he hates uh, it. And uh, so, it feels like he kept it kind of quiet publicly while the shows were on, but mm-hmm. it feels like since Arrow's ended, that he's kind of shown his ass uh, a mm-hmm. few times uh, yeah. to this point. And saying in the past week that he doesn't support this, the strike, and then promoting, like kind of like try to slyly promote his new season of his show by mm-hmm. like taking Instagram photos in front of his billboard. Like, yep. you know, and it's like, it's not just like one is like, hey, look, I'm on a billboard. It's like, no, here's like yep. five photos of me posing in front of the bit. Like, come yeah. on, you're, you're being a dick. <laughs> yeah. There's just this thing that you have to, you know, if those are your people, you support them. Right. And it's like publicizing your show that's already been shot. That's going to come out. Takes takes the backseat to trying to get stuff made later. Right. Like. To me, yeah, it's, a, it's a cost-benefit analysis that you could easily not post those pictures promoting your show. There, there uh, was, uh, you know, Matt Damon said, this was right before the strike mm-hmm. happened, because the Oppenheimer mm-hmm. premiere was literally happening in the yeah. hours before the strike kicked in. Yeah. And he was saying something, like, you know, basically to the effect of, like, you know, we're doing this for the 95% of actors who, mm-hmm. who need the support and need the help mm-hmm. from everyone. Obviously, the Matt Damons of the world, and maybe even the Stephen Amells, don't need the protections anymore because they're they're successful mm-hmm. enough that they're, they're they're set. Right. But the point is, is that when you see a famous actor, you know, picketing with all the other actors, it's because mm-hmm. they're trying to support all the up and comers who are struggling to pay for health yeah, insurance, who are struggling using, to do all these other things. Yeah, they're using their spotlight to to shine a spotlight for others, right? Like, you know, they're trying to bring attention to the best way. Where um, Stephen Amell's got more of a "f you got mine" kind of yeah, attitude. Exactly, and that's I hate that. You know, um, so and it makes me not want to watch Heels, uh, even though I did enjoy the first season. You know, I, I'm not going to re-up Stars right now after hearing what he said, you know. I never finished yeah. season one. It was all right yeah. from the few episodes yeah. I saw, but it was never you know, it was, something. Yeah, it was enjoyable, you know, but I don't think it's worth crossing a picket line for. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, nothing is, and that's kind of the point. Uh yeah. You know, so uh, you know, I do not like this guy's work that I'm about to mention. Mm-hmm. But props to Seth MacFarlane for donating a million dollars mm-hmm. to like help support everyone who's uh, yeah. not working right now. Yep, yep. I saw The Rock has been given to 
You oh, know? really? Okay. Yeah, I, I saw The Rock put some money into the fund, like over mm-hmm. a million, I want to say. So good good on these big names that, that have the money to give that are helping. Because, you know, there was that famous Ron Perlman video about there's, there's multiple <laughs> oh. ways to lose your house. <laughs> he, yeah, he was threatening to anyone who doesn't support the strike. Well, Which... co- context was... There, it had been leaked out that a, a high up executive at one of the major film companies had said they'll keep this going as long as it takes, and until people start losing their houses, because then they'll, you know, they'll be worthy to make a deal. And so Perlman got on there, was like, "Hey, there's more than one way to lose a house, buddy. We know who you are. We know where you live." Uh, oh yeah, I saw. Be glad that. Yeah. yeah. After Amel said what he said a few days later, obviously there was the PR kind of yeah. like, oh, yeah. you know, I kind of, you know, I was, I was being an idiot and I said some things silly. Like, uh-huh. you know, he was doing the rounds, and like, obviously everyone's like, yeah, he got a few phone calls <laughs> about what he said, and yeah. I just saw someone say, or oh, Ron Perlman, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> showed up with a baseball bat, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Uh, Green Arrow meet Hellboy. <laughs> so, um, Do you know, it does make me wonder though, um, because in the comics, you know, and this is this is pivoting mm-hmm. the DC talk here, so yeah. I'm, I'm, this is this is genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the comics, you know, Oliver Queen is is a very leftist character, mm-hmm. and it occurs to me that in the TV show Arrow, his leftist like traits never really were a part of the show, oh. and. You know, given how Stephen Amell has been kind of acting, I, I do kind of mm-hmm. wonder if he has a reason. He's you know he's part of the reason for that. Like yeah. he isn't wanting this bleeding liberal side of Oliver Queen and in his interpretation. You know. That said, would have you wanted that on Arrow? I feel like it would have been like a, a not a costume version, but like a, had they done that, it would have almost been like an an inauthentic version of the Denny O'Neill stuff. You know. I mean, it would be so. I mean. It's a lot more generic the way it is. You know, mm-hmm. Even if it fails, the trying, I would say, is a better attribute than not. It would, would yeah. be my thing. I just, I just, wanna, I just wouldn't want it to look like, because that was one of my favorite things about Oliver Queen as a character, right, is when, when they get into the politics of it, because he is on on the side, right? He's a billionaire, but he's out there trying to, to make things better. Yeah, you know? and, and that show in eight seasons, I don't think yeah. I remember much. Any type of... Yeah, yeah, like if there was any political stuff, it was very minor. I, I don't yeah. remember any big swings. But I just maybe what I'm saying is I don't trust that Arrow team to tell a new. Oh, that, yeah, that's a, that's a fair yeah. statement. Yeah, but yeah. like, but you know, I, I'm just questioning if he it was him specifically. I'm not even really saying if it would have been the right yeah. thing on that particular version. Um, if he squashed where, it. Whereas right? you know, Supergirl by comparison, I remember them mm-hmm. tackling a lot of subjects. Again, it wasn't always good. It wasn't always right. done with uh, a deft hand by any means. But yeah. there was attempts to tackle tough subjects. Uh, whereas you know, Arrow. I mean, I, I, you know, it had a gay character or two, I suppose. But that was mm-hmm. a bit. You know, that was a bit. Like there wasn't any. You know, um, there wasn't any of. It wasn't the hard traveling heroes type stuff that yeah. we associate with Oliver Queen. Um, yeah, so you know, and it, it kind of still goes to this day, which is why I always like when you know, him and him and Bruce end up on opposite sides, you know, because Bruce Bruce wants to help as well, but Bruce isn't out on the front lines like Ollie is, you know. So Ollie, the, there's always that built-in frustration with Bruce that I like seeing from Ollie, you know. Yeah, well, okay, we can wrap that round in mm-hmm. DC somehow. So that's we nice. Did. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about comics then. So, 
Night Terrors, Batman issue two, Joshua Wilson writing with Gillen March on art. First off, not nearly as entertaining as as the first issue. Yeah, I say that. But somehow we ended back in the alleyway of the Wayne murders twice in this yeah. issue. Twice. <laughs> um, also, we, we we got the the most boringly named name for the for the bat creature. It's just Gunbat. And I was like, we we could have done numerous different things, like like Pete last time with the with the bat retta. Ah yes, you know, yes. I forgot just, I said just, that, but you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a genius. So, I agree. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> but this this wasn't bad. It was just there. Like this is a story that we've read a bunch of times with Bruce coming to terms with his trauma. You know. Yeah. And it didn't do so anything f- different. What's so funny is I I saw an article on Newsarama as I was just looking to see if there was any news to talk about. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a headline, I didn't click on it to see what it said, but there was a headline that said, uh, Batman needs to move on from his origin story. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, I agree with this. But then I read mm-hmm. the rest of the headline and it said, and Nate Terrors is doing exactly that. What? Did we read the same issue? What? I, I guess their interpretation, having not read the article, is that this is a finishing chapter in Bruce obsessing about the alleyway, which will make a difference. Like, other writers are going to do it, but... Uh... Yeah, but which... Um, if I believe that this was going to change things going forward, because Williamson isn't the Batman writer, though. He's not, no. So, if this was Zdarsky doing this, and it was tying in in some of the, the way that I feel like these other books are, like, I feel like the stuff that happens on Poison Ivy will play out because that's Poison Ivy's regular writer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but here, it's it's Williamson, and I'm glad that Williamson gets to put a cap on the character and having Bruce come to terms with the alleyway. But, I, like, is Zdarsky going to pick this up? Or are we just picking up from where he left off? Like, this never happened, right? There so... is some silly stuff, though. So when he's in the alleyway again and a bunch of evil little Bruce Wayne start attacking mm-hmm. him, uh, That's pretty great. He takes off flying and just casually says, "Yeah, I don't really want superpowers in the real world, but in here, like, I basically have all Superman's powers." Yeah. And he just flies through the sky, and I'm like, "All right, <laughs> okay, I guess we're doing that." I, I can take because Batman in the Dream World, right? <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, this is mind. really because Superman more than anything, because he compares it to Clark, right? Yeah. Um, um, and he, for some reason, there's a couple of panels, sort of like. Uh, referencing Dark Knight Returns for yeah. some reason. Uh, well, so on there, I read that as he says, like it's it, it's going through a progression of things of, of nightmare scenarios, and he goes and some that are lies. So I, to me, I took that as Williamson going like, well, we're not getting caught up on the Dark Knight Returns version of of Clark and Bruce, you know. Uh, so that's how I read that that piece. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know what uh, I mean? You know, so, as a nightmare scenario, we're not going to get Batman versus Superman type so deals. Batman goes to the secret door that's in his mind, and then mm-hmm. Somnia shows up, and then Somnia's like, oh, is the uh, is the uh, nightmare stone, is that behind this door? And Batman's like, no, I don't have your stupid nightmare stone. And then he morphs into a slightly different outfit. It's not a bat outfit, uh, but this thing it, in Gillen March's art looks so goddamn ugly. It, I'm like, what was different of it? And then I look, and instead of the cowl coming down over the shoulders right the, the the cape is coming out of his neckline so he gave it a very 90s like this felt like the uh what's his name kelly oh god i'm not a big fan of the art he does the big big ears i know what you're talking about i know what you're talking about yeah uh, 
this makes me think of uh like when people draw hawk's cape from hawking yeah. dove i was getting that yeah. vibes because i actually like the cape coming out of the shoulder that, that's uh yeah. or, or the neck i should say that's what i yeah. like with superman's cape i don't like when yeah. it's like these shoulder pad looking things yeah, 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 yeah but uh typically batman's cowl becomes his cape whereas here mm-hmm. is kind of separate from his cape and yeah. it looks a bit weird i like uh, i like the idea that the cowl and the cape are one piece you yes know? Uh, and yeah. and it, it gives them that silhouette that I, I really like here. It you're right. It gives them Hawk from Hawk and Dove uh, vibes. Yeah. Also, when Insomnia first shows up and he says, "Hey, I've got your new pet here," I actually had to like look at it closely to realize it was the gun bat because mm-hmm. there's so little detail on this thing. Yeah. And for some reason, the entire head and gun is red. And mm-hmm. I get it. This might be covered in blood, but it's not like you know painted in blood. No. Oh, oh, isn't tight. Mm, um, so yeah, Batman's also got Neo powers in here. He stops a bunch of bullets by putting his hand yep. out, uh, and he. Which again, it's a dream, whatever. Like, I'm yeah, not... yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really complaining. Yeah. I'm just I'm sick of dream logic because that's all we've had for these last goddamn five weeks. Bro, we're 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 over halfway. That's what I keep yeah. telling myself. Yeah, we're 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 and the and the over the hump as as they yep. say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Batman rips the gun out uh, the gun bat's head or bat gun's head whatever, whatever mm-hmm. way around it was and he opens the door only to go back into the goddamn alley that's what's behind the door the secret Which, door in his mind is the alley to me to me this is Williamson saying that the door that Batman locks everything behind is the thing that has defined him so why was it locked up in his brain right <sighs> <laughs> I don't it doesn't make any sense, does it? But we've already seen the alley in this very issue, so just seeing right. it again, like having that be what's behind the secret, oh, this locked door in his right. mind, what's behind there, and then open it to see the same thing we already saw early on this right. issue, but- and last issue, and also every, say, 10 or 12 issues of every Batman uh-huh. comic ever, you yeah. piece of shit. <laughs> why, why, why was the door locked and chained if this was just something we've already done? And we get this scene, which, you know, conceptually I don't hate, which is Batman no. talking to a young Bruce Wayne who's inside mm-hmm. his mind and basically saying, uh, you know, when you grow up, yeah, you're going to be alone, you're going to be in the shadows, but you're going to find children who make you better, referencing mm-hmm. the Robins and the Batgirls. You're going to find friends. Uh, he references Superman and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's just like that that moment on its own in and, a vacuum is, is yeah. nice enough. And and he's, you know, talking about you'll never be alone because you'll always be surrounded by family. And it's this group. It's the Justice League. It's Alfred. It's Gordon. It's all the Robins and, and the Bat family. And so just this idea that there's this little boy who's alone, right? Because they mentioned, too, that, that which was new to me, that he was in the alley for like 90 minutes before a cop wandered by. Uh, that sounds like a new detail. Or, yeah, or, and I'm may- just like, Ugh. Or maybe it's a deep pull from, like, I don't know, yeah. one specific version of it. But right, yeah. but that's something that I wasn't familiar with in the Bat origin, right? And so the fact that, you know, yes, he was this boy that was alone in the alley, you know, with, with the corpses of his parents, but one day he'll find, you know, the support structure in the family. And no, I, I do like that idea. It's a good I, thing you know. I didn't get hungry in those 90 minutes. Maybe have, <laughs> have been a really, you know, monstrous sight to arrive if, to. If he was a cat, definitely would have happened. So, you know. Hey, my cats have my permission. If I die, they, they can <laughs> they, sustain well, themselves. I'm glad that they have because they're not going to wait for your permission. Uh, oh, so. they would. They would. They're... Yeah. they're... <laughs> He's like, I trust them. I they trust know. them implicitly. Uh, 
So, I trust them more than Connor. I'll tell you that right now. Well, I mean, come on, it's Connor. Uh, <laughs> so, but of course, um, you know, Batman thinks he's waking up. He, he thinks mm-hmm. the connection to Boston, like Bo- he thinks Boston Brand's leaving his body, uh, Dead Man, and he wakes up in Arkham Tower. Although we know that, you know, Dead Man took his body away from there, so right. something's not quite clicking for us. Uh, but then he looks outside. It looks like the apocalypse, mm-hmm. and Damien shows up, and he claims that it is the real world that he's in, yep. but that we've lost. And Damien's holding a big gun in his hand, and that's the cliffhanger. And it mm-hmm. says, "To be continued in Night Terrors Three and Four. Um, I cannot tell you how little I cared about these last two or three pages. Like, I just don't yeah. care. I don't like because he's clearly not in the real world. I don't think because I don't know because only the last time that we saw Damien was in the backup of. This last Batman. True, true. So, and he was going to go about his own way of defeating Insomnia. So, like, if he's showing up and saying that, you know, we've already lost and stuff, I think that's supposed to be monumental. But I don't know. Like, yeah, I just, I don't know. The whole thing feels a bit weird to me. I I guess a part of it's just that I'm just so checked out in Night Terrors as a story now. Because issue two was such a letdown, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, that. Okay, say okay. This is the real world. Batman's awake in it. How did he get back to the same spot where he fell asleep? Because mm-hmm. the dead man put his body back. Because dead man wasn't finished with his body last issue, if I remember correctly. No, no. but d- dead man did try to jump though into insomnia, right before the night terrors. He did, but that wouldn't make his body teleport back to where it was. No, but yeah, but maybe he did put him back. I don't. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see that they had to get back because don't forget, insomnia is supposed to be in Arkham Tower. His physical body. Yeah, okay, okay. So yeah. maybe maybe he ends up, Deadman ends up back at Arkham Tower searching for Insomnia, the, the real person. Yeah, maybe this will overlap where we'll yeah. see them go in issue three to Arkham Tower mm-hmm. and then, yeah, Batman will completely yeah. wake up where he was left. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, yeah... Yeah, that's the issue I did not like, right? There's one little, you know, seed of an idea Mm -hmm. in the conversation between Batman and his younger self about the future being okay that's a a fine idea. The rest of it is just a bunch of fluff with Batman having Superman powers, fighting young Bruce Wayne's. We see the alleyway multiple times, uh, insomnia monologuing. And then on top of all that, you've got Gillum March Art, which I think is worse than the last issue. I, yeah. this, this felt even messier to me, this mm-hmm. issue. This felt more rushed. Yeah. Feels like he had a more of a lead time with the first issue. Because that, that art didn't, I mean, despite being Gillum March, I would say it was pretty solid Gillum March art. Yeah, so... you, you can kind of tell that, like, I think the last page clearly had a bit more mm-hmm. effort put into it. Yep. Because the last page looks all right for Gillum March Art. But right. a lot of the pages where there's a lot of panels, or even just the page before where Batman's waking up, Mm-hmm. It just looks a little bit, I don't know, like less detailed than he usually does. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you're talking about like the lack of details on the gun bat, you know, on that yeah, one Yeah, and that smaller panel. It, it looked more like he did last time in the following pages, but that, that first panel where he's really small. Um, yeah. And obviously you do less detail when something's small, but mm-hmm. this was so much that I didn't get immediately that that's what this is what it was. I was like, oh, yeah. that's a gun sticking out of a bat's head. I didn't realize that because it's red for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's yeah. yeah. Art, the art's not good. Uh, no, it's it's a very very skippable issue. I don't think it really offers much. Um, and ultimately, it was just kind of like killing time until Batman's awake again. Unless mm-hmm. something Batman learned in his dream is going to help them, like win. 
but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, what what's going to help them win, you know, now that he's up? Like, there's nothing. As he came to terms with his inner child. Has nothing to do with the Nightmare Stone, nothing to do with insomnia, you know. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Very, very murky. Can't recommend it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, what are you rating Night Towers Batman, Matt? Uh, this is a 4.5. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go the straight four, I think. Yeah. Nice and neat. Uh, four out of ten. Alright, Night Terrors, Poison Ivy, issue mm. two. G. Willow Wilson writing with Atagun Ilhan on the art. Uh, so you read this, Matt. You read the first I, one as well, so I, take it away. I did. So the, the entire premise is, you know, is this is this Poison Ivy's dream house, right? And uh, as we come to find out through the course of the issue that everything that is happening is... You know, this domestic bliss that she's looking for is what she thinks that Harley wants. And it becomes Ivy's nightmare because now she, you know, she is, she has lack of agency. So it's like she's just doing things to go through the motions. And the art is very creepy. I'm not a fan of it, um, but it is very unnerving. So, like, when she starts encountering the people from the neighborhood who are all these bat characters, right? You have Bruce and Selena and penguin and uh, harley um they all have these like dead-eyed grins on their faces and it's just it's very unnerving and it you know if i was a fan of the art it's you know it's kind of rosmo-esque so it was taking me out a lot being like i I wish the art was better um so as ivy's coming to terms with this you know dream house and is it what she wants is this what harley wants like you know is this a dream or is a nightmare janet from hr is going through and trying to escape the mad hatter because um she has jumped in somehow to pam's dream and this is one of the issues that i'm having with night tears is there's no rules for how the nightmare scenarios are working Mm. right why is janet from hr able to get into harley's dream why isn't she having her own nightmare Right. And we've seen this in other issues, right? Why were the Titans dreaming together? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Versus why is Dick by himself? So uh, it's just more of that. Um, but what uh, G. Willow Wilson does here is Janet is almost Ivy's constant, right? Because she doesn't know where Harley is. She knows the Harley in her dream isn't, you know, our Harley um, from from the, the non-Nightmare realm. And so... It's, you know, it's Ivy's connection with Janet, you know, the, the lady that she had saved before she, you know, went on this anti-hero journey um, that kind of uh, reawakens her as going like, well, no, I want to do what I want to do. And Harley's going to be OK with that because Harley wouldn't put me through these scenarios of living a domestic life. She knows what I'm about. I know what she's about. So uh, Janet ends up escaping the Mad Hatter. Um and ends up coming down onto the street, and that's where the whole dream. It kind of reminded me of Inception, when the uh, all the people like when they realize you're not supposed to be in the dream, and then just like the the riot happens and they all start coming at you. That's what happens here with uh, Ivy and uh, and Janet from HR, and so towards the end, uh, Ivy reawakens her powers because Janet reminds her like, yeah, you're you're Pamela Isley, you are Poison Ivy, you're not. You know, you are not what other people think of you. You've made up your decision. That's how we met. You know, you made up your mind. Um, And so uh, they end up uh, facing down all of these um, 
all of the the fake people from the dreams and ivy reawakens all of her plant powers um and janet starts yelling at her to wake up to make it stop because the as she starts fighting back the room starts melting right and she wakes back up in um it looks like so she's in her jumpsuit and this is where i got a little confused she ends up waking in a park in gotham um and uh janet from hr is there because it doesn't look like she's at her swamp house where she began so it's a little bit weird um but yeah she she just comes up with the realization as the room's melting right that um uh where's it at the, the, you know, nightmares can reveal their, your true nature and what lies beneath uh, your fears, really, what it seems. So that's where, she, you know, she comes to terms with being who she wants to be. Um, but, yeah, it just it ends with them in what looks like Central Park in Gotham, um, uh, awakened. So, like, I don't know if this is, you know, the hero saved the day and now everybody can wake up or what. Uh, but it's I appreciate that that uh, G. Willow Wilson was trying to tell a story with Ivy that's based off of the run before, right? It's not just night terrors. So you could read this in, in the next run and it, it, you know, it will inform probably what goes on, but yeah, the art's a, a big step down from, from Masiro mm. to uh, Mauricio Takara. And it's just, again, it's just not my cup of tea. It's not bad. Like, it's not like the, the breakdowns are terrible. You don't get that confused with, you know, following the action or anything. It's just, these bug-eyed people are just not fun to look at. I mean, I so. suppose if there's one silver lining about all this is that mm-hmm. the regular artists and the ongoings mm-hmm. have got two months to like get ahead get a little bit. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So yeah, so I mean, it's, it's an enjoyable read, but it's not great. So this is a, a 5.5. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Night Terror's Ravager issue 2, Ed Brisson with Dexter Soy. This is rounding out our Night Terror's books of the mm-hmm. week. Um, obviously last month I also did Black Adam but that was completely yeah. pointless I did not want to read that so uh, Ravager like like the, it kind of works as a horror story it uh-huh. works a little bit because it seems like it's leading into an actual story in Batman the Brave and the Bold uh, mm-hmm. issue 4 uh, which will probably be multi-part which means yeah. it feels a bit more relevant to something at least uh, mm-hmm. because the the story you know it's all about this this villain the murder man trying oh. to get out of into the real world through ravager yeah. and when ravager's woken up at the end of the the issue uh by the by stormwatch mm-hmm. she's like hey did anything come out with me and she's like worried about it and like yeah. i don't think so he's but, like i don't know yeah. like i just you just woke up like, but when they leave, the final you know, couple of panels are the, uh-huh. the blood on the counter. Like, mm-hmm. And we know that the murder man's made out of blood starting to move. Right. And it's like, oh, to be continued. And I'm like, okay, you know what? This set up a story that mm-hmm. makes this a bit more relevant. Well, and it feels like there were stakes, right? We feel like with the murder man that, oh, this is just a personification of the, you know, her becoming her father. But it was like, no, it was more than that. It, it was this entity yeah. that was trying to use her. Yeah, I was out. I was going back and forth when I was reading mm-hmm. it because I was like because I was thinking it was just that and maybe okay yeah. he's saying he wants to get out yeah. it was that, but the ending actually says no on some level this thing is a real entity that wanted yeah. out through her and yeah. because of that it instantly makes them more interesting and almost mm-hmm. anything else and the nightmares and any of the other issues yeah. that we've read so because well, you know he talks about like you we can hurt you here but you can't hurt us and then he cuts her cheek and then that that's where the blood comes from there at the end. 
And so, you know, again, it feels like there was actual states. That's how he's traveled, Jay. He's traveled because yeah. he's cut her and he's, he's went through that blood, which is, yeah. which is cool. And also Dexter Arts, uh, Dexter Art, Dexter saw his art. <laughs> Is uh, he should change his name. It would fit him. Uh, Dexter Art. <laughs> but yeah, Dexter Size Art is very good. It was very good in the last issue. It's very good in this issue. Mm-hmm. It's a very quick read because it has a lot of action. It's a lot of yep. Ravager running, fighting with uh, this evil version of herself and these like sort of mm-hmm. monstrous henchmen. Uh, there's kind of like a real body horror segment where she like mm-hmm. is hiding next to a house and the couple that live in the house fuse together and become like a giant spider. Yeah. It was, it was very uh, The Thing-esque. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, yeah, so, so, like, this was definitely much, much better mm-hmm. than... I, I than, had a lot of fun reading this. So yeah. I messaged Pete because I was, I was cutting it close on time to find out if he was going to read this one. It was the last one I had. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I read it. it you know, so I'm glad that I, I stuck through because this was the, out of the, the Night Terrors, easily the most enjoyable because um, oh, yeah. it, it, you know, it told a cohesive story, right? It wasn't just, and, you know, and to be fair, it was interacting with dream logic. Yeah. And to be fair, it did, uh, it felt that way last month as well. Last mm-hmm. month on this week, Ravager was definitely the best Night Terrors book. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe this, cause that was the same week as First Blood last month. So maybe technically that was, but yeah. out of the tie-ins, it definitely stuck out as being the one. And then this mm-hmm. month again, it, it actually, because it's actually brought this thing into the real world, that's going to have a story. And to be honest, I might read the story. Like, you know, yeah. the, the story in uh, Batman Brave and the Bold, issue four. I know the King uh, Garrett story isn't back till issue five, but I might read, uh, you know, that one story though, because mm-hmm. I'm a little invested now, because I'm like, oh, oh. This, this thing's followed her into the real world. I want to see where that goes. Yeah, and I'm curious to see what the Stormwatch team is, if it's got Peacekeeper 1 and Ravager on it. Yeah, it's a weird right? team for sure. Like, but like, I like, like Ravager how... enough that, you know, she's like a conduit oh. in, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wonder how are they different than Suicide Squad at this point? Because they seem to be answering to Waller. Uh, it's a good question. You know? Maybe Waller's given up the suit. She's realized that working with actual maniacs is yeah. not the way forward, and maybe just... Soldiers. Anti-heroes who are yeah. actually going to obey rules, not because they have bombs in their neck, may actually right. be the way to go. Yeah. Well, um, and, I, and I like, too, when Peacekeeper 1, you know, she's like, Waller's like, you need to wake her up. Like, we, we need her for this craziness that's going down. And I want to know why Peacekeeper 1 wasn't asleep, right? How come he didn't get hit with, with the nightmare wave or whatever? Because he's more um, machine than man now. Maybe, right? I wouldn't be adverse to that. I mean, that's, that's my that's answer. Case, if you're asking me my guess, that is my honest yeah. guess. But if that's the case, then, then why did it get Cyborg in Titans? Because he's still... Because <laughs> his, his head's still very human, you know? Well, yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> Peacekeeper 1 doesn't dream. Therefore, if you don't dream, you can't have nightmares. Ah, you know? I don't yeah. know, right? So, um, but... Um, just Not the, all cyborgs are built different, Matt. No, no, that's true. I, I don't built want the same. Of, you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush here that all half man, half machines are the same. Um, but um, but what I was getting at with the Waller stuff in Ravagers is when she's like, wake her up. And he pulls out what I assume is like adrenaline, right, uh, to, to pump her with because uh, it's very – I was thinking it was something more unique for DC. Just, you know, they've got some special yeah. thing. But, yeah, basically. Yeah. I didn't want to say Venom or anything like that, but something along those lines, right? You know, and, and that's what he, you know, that's what awakens her as she's defeating this uh, murder man, which I'm still kind of confused on how she defeated him. Um, d- did she just blast him with water because he's made of blood? Like, is that what that was? 
No, no, no. It was like a. It was like T two. It was like liquid nitrogen. Okay. I think. Yeah. Because okay. he was saying, "Oh, nothing can hurt me because I'm made of blood. Like everything just right. goes through." And she, okay. you know, throws her katana at the tanks of. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just a, wish it was it, a little it, bit more clear that that was CO two or whatever. It's a little bit green, which did throw me off. But he yeah. does definitely freeze. Like he freezes, yeah. and and then she like smashes him. So it's very mm-hmm. it's very T one thousand. So yeah, yeah. Uh, although that said, just like T one thousand, he's starting to yeah. reform at the end. So you gotta you gotta get every drop right. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, no, this was, this was very enjoyable. Uh, Brissa has a good voice for Rose too, you know, um, the way that she's interacting with the, with the murder men people and talking to herself, you know, almost, it, it kind of brought that nightmare scenario really up there. Like she doesn't want to be like Slade and she's telling her younger self, like he's just going to abandon you. So stop now. Like it only leads to heartbreak. You know, so I, I liked all of that stuff as well, uh, as well as character development goes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was just uh, looking at the solicits for Brave and the Bold mm-hmm. four and five, yeah. and uh, yeah, there's a Stormwatch uh, story okay. um, that's running through both of them, and Ed Brisson's in the writer list, so I assume he's writing that one, which right, makes sense. Right. Okay. So yeah. yeah, definitely curious to see where this goes. Yeah, and Night Terror and a Night Terror's tie-in, which I guess that would worry us before, but now that we've read this, we understand why it's a tie-in. Mm-hmm. It, it does it's not worrying now? It just makes sense. Yeah. But in a Night Terror's tie-in, Stormwatch uh, members Flint, Phantom One Core, uh, and are trapped. They're missing a member there. I assume it's meant to say Ravager at the Ravager? end. Ravager. Yeah. Uh, are trapped in a nightmarish world where their deepest fears lurk around every corner. Wait, well, this doesn't sound right. Uh, the fear is just beginning because a new enemy has emerged: the Tempest. I wonder if this has changed or something, because that feels like it's kind of off. Uh, I, I'll say this, though. The one for issue five, which I just looked at as well, yeah. sounded more like it had anything to do with Night Terrors. So maybe this one does, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just that they're still in the... Uh, maybe you know, maybe it's about Peacekeeper and Ravager mm-hmm. like waking them up out of the real world or something. Yeah. And building the team that way. All I know is that those those names that got brought up sound expendable. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like Peacekeeper one and Ravager on a whole different level than some of these other ones. That's true. Yeah, they don't mention Peacekeeper or Ravager, but they mention yeah. Yeah. Flint, Phantom One, and Core. Uh, yeah. Matt, off the top of your head, can you tell me who any of those three characters are? I cannot, and I roll deep in DC. Yeah, so, I can't either. So. Nah. All right. Well, there you go. They're they're, they're definitely expendable. So. Yeah, all it's right, like Slipknot that... <laughs> in that first Suicide Squad movie. It's like I've never heard of this character oh, at all. That makes yeah. sense when you said it's like Slipknot and then paused. I went the band. Yeah. Like what? Yeah, what are you no. talking about? <laughs> oh no, I feel like I feel like Corey Taylor would would you know give Insomnia a run for his money. That dude has some oh, scary yeah. masks. Uh, all right, what are you giving our Night Terrors Ravager to? I'm gonna give this a solid seven. Yeah, then that's fair. Like seven out of ten sphere. I think you know mm-hmm. it still kind of hurts a little bit because it is tied to night terrors, but it is yeah. probably the most actual self-efficient uh, tie-in because it does actually lead to something. Yeah, if this wasn't a tie-in, if this was just like a, a Ravager special, like we had the um, Power Girl stuff, right? Mm, yeah, this would still work without the frame of night terrors. It would just be she's having a nightmare, right? And Peacekeeper one has to find her or whatever. Yeah, you would just... It still works. Yeah, you would just have maybe a slightly different reason why she's trapped mm-hmm. in a nightmare, and that'd be it. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. So, 
All right, well, there you go. Uh, Adventures of Superman, John Ken, issue six, Tom Taylor writing with Clayton Henry on the mm. art. Um, of course, Superman and Justice Superman is going to execute Batman and Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. and Cyborg and Wonder Woman are telling him, "Hey, we got to go find this John, this this other son of yours, because he might try and interfere." And in Justice Superman's like, "No, no, no, it won't come to that." Cyborg's built a teleport gun or something to like, yep. you know, boom him back to his own Earth. Yeah, that's his plan. A vibrational, uh, vibrational cannon or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so the issue from there though is John basically saying I have to like stop these executions. Like I'm not letting mm-hmm. them happen. Yep. And he goes around all the various allies of this Superman. Uh, starting with Barry, and he just kind of appeals to him mm-hmm. and basically says, "Hey, are you really comfortable with these guys being executed?" And yep. he's like, "I heard your heart skip a beat. You're not." And yep. basically asks him to stand down. Uh, and then just kind of deals with some of the others. He, he puts the Wonder Woman here on on Titan because it'll take her too long to get back. He, yep. It's just it's just a delayer, so he's got time to do what he's going to yeah, do. Yeah, and, and he takes the lasso of truth, right? He takes the lasso of truth from Hart to yep. go and talk to Damien to basically yep. say, "Hey, I'm telling you, I believe in you, and I'm holding this while I say it, mm-hmm. which m- means it's true. You can be better than this." Um, and it all builds up to this confrontation with Injustice Superman, where. Justice Superman is not very happy that John has mm-hmm. broke out Batman and Harley Quinn. Um, he's very upset by this. And he effectively... John effectively sort of gives him a lesson in what Superman is and mm-hmm. plays the message that Lois made for him here, talking about his kindness and compassion, and that's why he's a Superman. It's not the powers that make him a Superman. It's all these mm-hmm. qualities that make him a Superman. Um, and... John's like, you have to pay for what you've done. Like, everyone has to obey these same rules, including Mm. you. Um, And there's a moment, probably the best moment of the issue, where John, like, goes all electric blue Superman. He's running in for a fight. You think Mm -hmm. they're about to have a showdown. And John instead hugs him and tells Mm -hmm. him he believes that he can get better, effectively. And... It, you know, it's, it's the compassion instead. And I think that swerve, it's kind of like, it makes me think of back when we were doing Doomsday Clock and we kept mm-hmm. saying, Superman's eventually going to be the one to win against Manhattan, but he's not going to win in a fight. It's not going to be punches. It's going nope. to be convincing Manhattan to believe in people through yep. his, who he is, through his nature. And mm-hmm. sure enough, that that's what kind of John does here within yeah. Justice Superman. He, he appeals to compassion. And so I read this early in the week and then, there's as Twitter does, there's so much controversy about it and and people coming after Taylor and Taylor's so good at, at you know, pivoting and, and turning these people's words on themselves. And I feel like if you feel like this is a controversial ending of John hugging this, you know, it's not his dad, but you know, let's just say this version of his dad, you know, to appeal to compassion. That's a very Superman ending, and I feel like if you think that's controversial, you haven't. I don't think you like Superman the way that you think you do. That was I, just my take. I didn't hear about this controversy. This is yeah. completely unknown to me. I never had a thought in my my head that there was no, anything. No, me neither. Controversial so I read this, this and I was like, yeah, this this is how this ends, right? Is the Superman that has gone out of his way to conquer the world, right? And it's always this thing. They always talk about if you know. That's why Superman's not believable because anybody with that much power can't be trusted, right? And this is that played out, the Injustice world is Superman taking full control 
And how do you defeat him? It's not through punches. It's through the compassion. And I don't think it's that controversial. But man. Yeah, it's, this, it's the combination of John saying he's sorry for his mm-hmm. loss, but he needs to, you know, he can't just get away with everything he's doing. Yeah. Hearing the message from Lois, which is basically this mm-hmm. this idea that his Lois wouldn't be happy that he did this. Like, you know, if his right. Lois was around, she'd, she'd be judging him for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's right after this Superman breaks Jay's arm to just show mm-hmm. how kind of like vicious he is as a, as a character. Yeah. So, you know, it really sort of ex- accentuates that. But I think the other thing I like about all this is that at the end of the story, John's takeaway when he's been back to his own world mm-hmm. is that he kind of understands better than he did before. Because one of the big differences between John and Clark that we've pointed out mm-hmm. in the last couple of years is that John is a Superman who's willing to get more involved in the politics of the world, where Superman mm-hmm. tries to stay out of them, not because he doesn't have an opinion and doesn't care, mm-hmm. but because he doesn't want to sort of, you know, exert too much control and become a tyrant. He doesn't want to be right. dictating to the world what their choices are. Um, right. And John feels more comfortable doing it, but at the end of this story, he understands the fears that his father has because now he's seen this mm-hmm. other version of Superman who is taking complete control, who right. is forcing his law upon the land. And right. I, I think the fact that that's what makes this so good. It's not just that we see these different versions of the character story play out. It's that it actually affects John's own understanding of his real father, his real Superman. Mm-hmm. And that makes it, you know... and It's... It's a learning moment for John. Well, yeah, but it's like uh, any TV show where you have mm-hmm. like the the stories of the week, and you'll have a guest star on, and it's their story technically, and then by the end of the episode, you know they've wrapped up their story and they leave. Good writing mm-hmm. will always make that story, but this other character, it's actually really about one of the main characters. It's actually about mm-hmm. one of the characters who's always there. It will thematically relate to something they're going through, so it's always relevant. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing here. Is that yeah, you've got all these other universe characters that John's interacting with throughout this arc for the most part, but all of it's been kind of done to give him this experience to appreciate mm-hmm. the real characters that we do spend time with going forward. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's contributed something to the character and to the other, the other characters and to the world that we actually do continue reading, which makes it more than just a gimmicky, ah, oh, here's some other versions to like have fun with for yeah. a few issues kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I all that stuff was good. I, you know, I, yeah. I like the ending. I think the compassion worked. Uh, obviously, yeah. there is a tease at the end for a story coming up in November. Uh, so this was... Feels like you decided to do that, that Beast Boy stuff, right? Like the... uh, seemingly, yeah. Um, but yeah. it is nice to know that John's going to be included in something because there was nothing yeah. really directly planned for him after this. So having this mm-hmm. book end with this tease yeah. of him coming back to the world, something being wrong, he hears too much he says it's loud the world is loud yeah. something was the people are screaming what's going wrong something's wrong and then yeah. it just says you know to be continued in the adventures of uh oh sorry no. john kent's adventures continue uh, in beast world was what i was trying to say beast world yeah. so so uh, i will say it's as as the end of this miniseries it's a little bit anticlimactic in the not the story with injustice superman because that was done but where it goes how they just beam him back with cyborgs you know, vibrational cannon and whatever, you know, um, I kind of would have wanted just this to end with, you know, some wrap up for John, you know, um, instead of just playing into this next thing. Um, but I understand why they did it. I mean, it, it depends to me if like, I mean, we don't know who's writing all these books. If, let's mm-hmm. say there's a John Kent tie in to be swirled, yeah. uh, that's written by Taylor then I'll be like, okay, I kind of get it because he's yeah. not done. Like, there's there's more of this to go, uh, and we're mm-hmm. we're kind of going to like, I don't know, whatever that might turn out to be. Yeah. 
Uh, either way, though, I'm glad he's going to be involved. Uh, and mm-hmm. given that that's a Titans-focused story, yeah. it makes sense because he's kind of of that that yeah. not lineage because he's actually much younger than all those characters. But yeah. he feels in universe about the same age as a lot of those characters now. Well, there's that, and he's real close to Dick, right? So he loves Dick. No yes, denying that. He does. Um, and that I wasn't mean, just a, that wasn't just a joke because he's bi. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that that was just a yeah. good joke. I was going to go with with with, with Grayson. Is that that is his mentor, right? So. Um, of course, he'll, he'll get involved in anything that he needs to. So, but yeah, if it, if it's not Taylor, I'll feel like this is a bit anticlimactic for his arc on on John. Um, but again, it's comics. I understand you have to always move yeah. forward. Well, I think so. I, I get what you're saying, but I think it only works if this is truly the last that Taylor writes for him. Like, I think is a satisfying story about this him going to this mm-hmm. injustice universe i think it's completely lands i think it completely hits the mark yeah. the only way you it might feel like it's a bit weird is if it is just like the end of taylor Wright and john as superman and mm-hmm. therefore it feels like there's it's not much of an ending i guess in yeah. that sense uh so, but uh but what is there is actually really good like i, I think yes. the way he deals with this uh, and I, I said i've said this like almost every issue but i think this is easily the best arc that he's written for John as Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it's better than all the arcs he had in the yeah. ongoing book that lasted like what twenty mm-hmm. issues or whatever it was. Yeah, because right, he he has a solid understanding of John as a character at this point. You know, so everything it, it it the stuff that happens before he gets hit with a cannon is very fulfilling for John as a character. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I, I think, and you say he understands John as a character. I would, I would go a step further and say he's actually molded who the adult or the the near adult version of John is, because a lot of that has come from his run and and this mini. Mm-hmm. So he he's actually probably not just as important as say Dan Jurgens in creating mm-hmm. the character, but I think he's like mm-hmm. probably the next important name in terms of like contributing to who he is and what yeah. type of character he he can be. So mm-hmm. you know. Um, oh, yeah, I'll agree with that. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we haven't really mentioned the art. I mean, Clayton Henry's Clayton Henry. You know, we kind of say the same things. It's like, you know, it's nice and clean. Uh, yeah. the, the, but the foreheads, for me, you know, it's they just sometimes I just don't like yeah. them. But it's just the, the way know, it is. I get that. I, I like the, uh, like the, not the action-y stuff, because the, the Wonder Woman stuff's not action-y, but like them going through space and stuff, I thought looked really good. You sure, know? yeah, yeah. You know, so that stuff... Uh, the the stuff at the end with with the hug and it does ramp up the action really well. Like him and Taylor work real well together no, to I mean, build that tension. So the, the layouts are good. Like John yeah. running towards them like they're about to fight and then mm-hmm. hugging them. The layout, yeah. the pacing of that, so that when you turn the page and see the hug, the build up to it and then the reveal of the hug is perfectly paced. It, yeah. it's, it's just how he draws heads. It's, it's, it's how he, it's how he draws human heads that just doesn't yeah. work for me. And it's, it's a pretty big thing to try and get over because it's. A lot of human heads when you're reading the comic book. <laughs> Dude, he's going to be so great on the leader book at Marvel. <laughs> or Modoc. Or uh, be great. Or, or maybe they should do a Coneheads comic. It'd be perfect yeah. for uh, perfect for that. Yeah. yeah. It's mass quantities. <laughs> that said, though, how are you tell the difference between the Coneheads and the regular humans in the book? Maybe the, maybe it'll be difficult. <laughs> that's And that's, that's why Clayton Henry's on it. Right? It's all about <laughs> deception and, you know. But yeah, no, this was, this is a nice, you know, way to, you know, uh, a safe haven from Night Terrors. You know, this book had been, yes. uh, especially this week when I needed it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Especially since, you know, his other books right now aren't, you know, they're off for Night Terrors. Obviously I cannot wait for Nightwing and Titans to be back uh, next yep. month, but you know, 
this is what we've got uh, this month from Taylor. Mm-hmm. Well, there might be a Darnie to Steel at some point as well, because that just yeah. pops in randomly. Maybe. Whatever it feels like, apparently. Yeah. Uh, all right, what are you rating Adventures of Superman, John Kent, issue six? I mean, it was a straight eight. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I think the heartfelt and the, the idea of like what makes you a Superman... Uh, you know, it, it felt like a big character moment for John and him mm-hmm. showing this compassion and sympathy for this Superman while saying, no, you can't just be allowed to do what you do. Uh, and I like, actually, one thing that I'll add on to all the, everything we've said is I like it, it leaves it ambiguous of like how much of an effect this has on Injustice Superman because he's mm-hmm. clearly affected by seeing Lois say these words from John hugging him and then he's beamed away and you don't really, like... I think we're left to hope that he's going to change yeah. and like answer for his crimes and like volunteer himself up and try and like fix the world that he's made. But mm-hmm. we don't know. He might not. Right. You know? Uh but so but it leaves sure. in that little glimmer of hope that maybe yeah. John's broke through to him enough that he might yeah. change. Conversely, it could be that he didn't go far enough and he he doubles <laughs> down. <laughs> That's so, true, you know, true. Uh I suppose, uh, yeah, maybe one day you'll revisit that universe, Taylor, to yeah. like, tell more of the story. But mm-hmm. if this is the last you see of it, I do think it's a nice little ambiguous moment yeah. of hope, uh, yeah, yeah. perhaps. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's Adventures of Superman, John Kent. Justice Society of America, issue five, Jeff Johns writing with Mikkel Yannon uh, and Jerry Ordway on the art. So uh, we've been having some gaps between this issue, which is unfortunate, but... Yeah, I was going to say, um, I forgot where we left off on this because it had been a minute. Well, I mean, very quickly, it's like, oh, Helena went to talk to Batman. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm in. I I know where we are. Let's just go. That's that's what I was going to say. I was like, what's going on here? I had to try to remember the Dagaton stuff and everything that we had learned. But once it gets going, we're we're good to go Yeah, uh, within the first few pages. To be fair, John's. He does do that thing where he knows there's not going to be a recap page, so he has the narration. Mm-hmm. And like that's why people used to always joke that Green Lantern always started with, "My name's Hal Jordan, and I'm Green Lantern of Sector Two Eight One Four. This right. book does that. It's like my name is Helena Wayne, and I am the daughter of blah blah blah, and I came yep. from the future, blah blah blah. Like it, ex- it explains the basics. It just it recaps you on the basics, so you can get going. It mentions Degaton, and mm-hmm. you know we get into it. And she tells Batman about the future. Uh, she hugs him even. And mm-hmm. is like, yes, you're going to die by this man you've not even met yet. Blah blah blah. And interestingly, by the end of the issue, uh, her future's gone. Right? Yeah. Uh, they they beat Degaton. That I was surprised by that. It happens this issue, but I guess we are six issues or five issues in, rather at twelve. Yeah. Um. So we've got more stuff to do, and she's sticking around. But she's now like a paradox where her future that she came from doesn't mm-hmm. exist, but she's here now anyway. So. Which is neat from a continuity point of view because we don't have to worry about Batman and Catwoman having a daughter at any point. Um, yeah. It does make me very fascinated, though, to see like her interact with Damien at some point because she's yeah. kind of a sibling. Yeah. He's going to be so upset because his best friend now is like a bunch older than him. And now he's going to have a younger sister that's older than him. Yes, who's an adult. And, uh, but, and not only that, I kind of want to see her meet... Uh, Helena Bartonelli as uh-huh. well. I already meet other Huntress and like yeah. have like a Huntress like like maybe discover why she took that name specifically. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was like a, a bit of a fangirl kind of thing yeah. going on there. I don't know. I I do like though that they compare her to Power Girl, right? As this mm. kind of lost character who can make their own future. 
you know, is because she's, you know, Kara Zor-El from Earth 2. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and now you have... Yeah, and they've been tied together before in mm-hmm. like GSA and Earth Two stories. Is uh, yep. this particular type of huntress and that particular type of Power Girl? Yeah, and so the fact that that now you know Power Girl is going by Paige, and you know through all the Leah Williams stuff, uh, it, it makes me hopeful that they can do something similar with Elena and really make her stand out. Yeah, so the JSA show up, and almost immediately Degaton shows up, and we get all these different Degatons from different parts of his timeline, all coexisting at the same time. I love it, because we get them being able to beat up a Nazi child. So, it's great. The way you said I love it there made me think of Naked Gun 2. You know, when when, so Leslie Nielsen, he's going undercover, right? Or not mm-hmm. undercover. He's just he's going into this meeting with all the bad guys, and he's got like wire taps all over his chest, right? And he tells mm-hmm. the other cops, including George Kennedy, that mm-hmm. the co- the catchphrase, the the code word for when you come in and help me, uh-huh. is I'll say I love it. I'll fit that into a sentence, and you know to come in. And the joke ultimately ends up being that uh, they're parked against like a telephone pole, so they can't get out the van. So he's no. he's left in there on his own, but. It's funny because he's standing there and they keep saying, you smell like sewage because he swam in through the sewage to get in there, right? Like, you smell like sewage. Like, yes, I love it. And he just keeps saying I love it to everything they say to him, even though they keep saying things like, oh, you stink of shit. You smell of sewage. And the way you said I love it there, it was the exact cadence of him saying it in that movie. Gotcha. Just look at that. And I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen any good, good, he said two? They could go on two and a half, specifically. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that in a very long time. So, uh, you know. Anyway. I, watched, I watched them all last year, so they're, they're yeah. relatively fresh. No, that, I remember that's it. right. They feel like your your vibe, though, too. You know, that's, you know. You're, you're not big for stupid comedy, but you, you will dig the Naked Gun. Uh, well, they're quite, they're actually quite witty. They're much wittier mm-hmm. than a than a scary movie is. All, yes, you know. So, yeah. um, but anyways, um, yeah, it's it's Degaton coexisting across time, and we get you know the first one we see is this is is like a younger version of himself, you know, coming coming through right to face. Well, he's 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 like I don't know, thirty or whatever. You know. Well, I mean, because the the kid one. No, he's not first, though. We don't see him until oh, after. he's not first. Okay. Because no. uh, yeah. it's just like the regular one we've been seeing, and then it's like a bunch mm-hmm. of adult versions who are all shown up to fight the GSA. Uh-huh. Uh, the young kid shows up uh, where Stargirl and Jakim are because they're, try- right. they're trying to find right. something from Degaton's past mm-hmm. that they can use as a, a MacGuffin, basically. Mm-hmm. An artifact yeah. that will let them, you know, let Dr. Fate and Madame Xanadu do something with it. Uh, and sure enough, this kid, uh, Degaton, shows up. And I love that he's wearing the exact same clothes as yep. the adult Degaton is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, we basically get this big fight with uh, the GSA uh, fighting all these Degatons. Um, we see kind of, like, glimpses uh, through, like, Degaton sort of beams it into, I think, Xanadu. And Xanadu mm-hmm. beams it to everyone else in the GSA. But we see kind of, like, his vision of what timeline will be like when he gets rid of the GSA. So you see, like, the past, which is a bunch of Degatons around, like, the circular table. You see mm-hmm. the present, which is a bunch of Degatons and, like, this, like, military police uh, basically, like, hanging up all the, the Bat family and the Outsiders. And yeah. then the future is a bunch of Degatons just having everyone killed, basically. Yeah. So it's like this really dark timeline. Uh, but it's mostly action. There's a great full-page spread of the, all the GSA mm-hmm. uh, in the middle here. 
Uh, it's got the JSA of the past, the present, and the future. Yep. Uh, and then when they win the fight, they all sort of fade back into their own parts of the timeline. Um, and Stargirl shows up with the MacGuffin thing. And basically, they can't kill Degaton because of his weird timeless this quality. Mm-hmm. But they can trap him in the snow globe uh, from the Time Masters. Yep. So he actually gets trapped with Flashpoint Batman and Martha Joker mm-hmm. uh, in the snow globe. That's That's where he's trapped. That, that, that's where he belongs you know dr <laughs> batman will keep him in line you know yeah uh so they acknowledge after this that this effectively has done something to the timeline like some of their history has changed mm-hmm. but they're not sure what yet um and sure enough uh the big cliffhanger is that star girl shows up with our man and jay's daughter Mm-hmm. Uh, setting up, of course, the special and some of the stuff we're going to do in the back half of this. So, that, so this is finally that Star Girl mini affecting yep. things. Playing in the so. lost children, you know, they they are found. Um, and yeah, I I really liked the JSA's across time segment. Yeah, that was really I that was really a, a high point. If it, it, um, this really felt like the final issue of a Jeff Johns art because it's yep. a lot of action, some big two page spreads. Mikel Yannon's art is gorgeous throughout, so yep. it's really easy to just enjoy it because it does all mm-hmm. look great. Um, also, you've got this really sad part right before that though, where Helena is like wondering, "Okay, I'm stuck here now, but like, you know, do I form a relationship with the Batman who's here mm-hmm. because I don't get to, you know, I never really got to know my dad that much because he died when I was right. young." Um, and then, but she sees that Batman says she can't stay here. Like, Batman's, like, distancing himself from her. Uh, yeah. Which is a bit bittersweet, and it's like, you can kind of probably understand why he's making that choice, that it's this mm-hmm. weird relationship that he doesn't want to deal with, that it's yeah. murky. Um, so I do wonder, though, is she here now in present continuity for the long haul, or is it just till the end of this book? I'm very curious about that. I would be willing to, to guess it's till the end of the book. Because um, mm. I feel like this is... This is her book in the way that um, uh, it used to be Stargirls when Johns wrote JSA. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So we're going to see everything through her point of view. So I feel like when, when this is end, they'll find a way to get her back. And when she returns, she'll be better off for it. From yeah. Learning from so like JSA. I said, I want to see her meet Damien. I want to see her meet, mm-hmm. uh, you know, regular Huntress uh, from the Birds mm-hmm. of Prey. I want to see her meet Catwoman, obviously. That, that should be an interesting Yep. Uh, meeting if they have that um yeah all, all these potential scenes of her interact or yeah even the other bat family just her hanging out with the bat girls for like an issue yeah. and having them ask all these questions about batman's future and yeah you know like just probably just thinking it's cool that batman's got a daughter and like oh you're so much better than damien i mean the jokes practically write themselves yeah. i can see <laughs> steph going to it ah so you want to and not batgirl I like it. Oh yeah, maybe yeah, maybe you know? maybe Babs will be like, wait, why Huntress? Why not? Yeah. Why not Batgirl? <laughs> like, right. you know, you, you you that was it's sitting right there. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, or Batwoman even, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential interesting like dynamics mm-hmm. to having her interact with various characters. Um, well, but it's yeah. interesting though that the Degaton plot's done and that we're now dealing with uh, you know, the missing kids and like yep. timeline like messiness so i'm curious to see well, where we go from here and i wonder how much judy's going to go in because we know that uh, jeremy adams is doing the mini with jay and judy it's just a special not a mini i think oh okay so it's just a special it's not a mini yeah okay so yeah so maybe we will see more of that type of stuff uh play out here and then i do know that the green lantern one that that special is going to have to do with the the russian red lantern no i think that's uh, a mini 
Okay. I either way, there, I flipped there, him there, or whatever. There, yeah, there was like two or three books announced in the last mm-hmm. solicits that were all mini series, yeah. I think. Uh, okay. But I'm pretty sure there's a the Jay Garrick and his daughter one that's just Wait. a special. I, okay. You're making me doubt myself now, but I, I well, think it is. I thought they were all minis. So, um, but either way, I know that the so I wonder how much of how much of the stuff that John set up early on, like with the Russian Red Lantern and Judy Garrick and all this, is going to play out here in JSA, or is this now just going to become a JSA focus book, and we're going to see, you know, how that's going to play in with what, um, because King's King's playing with some JSA stuff too with Wonder Woman, right? Like we're getting some new, or am I confusing different storylines? Uh, King's interested in a daughter. I don't know if we're getting yeah. Golden Age stuff. Maybe what was the gold? The golden stuff was in Snyder that never came out, right? Yeah, that was that was built okay. into five G, which never. Yeah, uh, that's what that's what I'm confusing it with. So, but yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm just happy to have John's right JSA again. Um, and like you said, this was very much a, a John's story capper with the way that it goes. And there's just you know big feel good moments, uh, like the arrival of the the different justice societies across time. Um, but yeah, really really enjoyed it. Okay, I'm a little confused now. Uh-oh. <laughs> because September solicits didn't have... Oh, was it October solicits? It must have been October. I think it was the October solicits okay. were the last ones that we... This, this is why I'm getting confused. I'm looking at we the We got through. Yep. Hold on. I'm just wanting to confirm this. All right, so there was the Alan Scott thing. Mm-hmm. Right, so Alan Scott Green Lantern issue one is one of six. Okay. Uh, wait, was that second? Yeah. Uh, Jay Garrick, The Flash issue... Oh, no, that is a mini. You... That's what I thought. But I, th- I think there's a special as well. I'm sure there's a special coming yeah. before that. Well, Someone confirm he, in the comments. I'm sure there's yes, a special please. coming before that. Either, like, either way, with the way that Adams handled the Flash family, I'm excited to see Jay and Judy in there if we don't get them here. You know what I mean? Mm. So that at least we know that that's coming down the line. Yeah. Okay, well... I'll pop up soon. If, if, if I'm right, Sweet. there's definitely, but there's a mini. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. That's that's sorry, one of the, that's that. one of the two minis we're getting the the flash one, and the the green lantern mm-hmm. one. Anywho, uh, it's interesting to see that stuff expand, and I'm excited that it is having an effect on some regular continuity. It's not just like in its own little mm-hmm. GSA corner, you know. But having Adams do the the Judy stuff with Jay mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, I do appreciate that. It's feeling like it's not because you know Doomsday Clock was fantastic. Not everyone agrees with that, but. We thought it was fantastic, but it was very much sectioned off by the time it was getting near the end. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. the, the rest of the continuity just moved on away from it. Uh, so I'm glad that this stuff actually can be the status quo for a lot of these characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm enjoying it. I, honestly, this is the best thing Johns has written since Doomsday Clock, I think, yeah. it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. As you know, I don't know who's written for three Jokers, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like Lost Children, but I think this is a more I mean, I like, story. Yeah, I like Lost yeah. Children, but this was this is better than Lost yeah. Children is. Uh, this feels like a bigger deal. Part of it, obviously, as well as this mm-hmm. got fantastic art from Yannin. Yeah. Um, so, Throwing yeah. this fastball here. All right, what are you giving GSA issue 5? I mean, it's an 8.5. I'll just go to straight 8, I think. Okay. Uh, but it is really good. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So... Uh, there you go. Uh, City Boy issue three. Greg Pak rating with Minkayu Young on the art. So this is... Uh, f- bizarrely, for a six-issue mini, I wasn't expecting it to feel like it sort of ended an arc in issue three, but it kind of felt like it mm-hmm. did in a weird way. Uh, which, you know, fair enough. If it's two or three-issue arcs, it's two or three-issue arcs. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so last issue ended with him uh, running into Superman, right? That was yep. the, the cliffhanger. Um, so a lot of this is Superman sort of trying to help him and encourage him to like talk to the city because mm-hmm. the city starts expanding, <laughs> literally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, it's continuing, and there's this concrete dragon that's being created that he's not controlling anymore. And the guys that are working for Intergang are like, ha-ha, it started. And when uh, when City Boy's like, hey, like I saw this vision of the city taking over the whole planet and there were pits of fire, and that makes Superman be like, wait a minute, pits of fire, you say? Like Apocalypse? Yeah. That's not good. We gotta stop this. Yeah, uh, and then again, guy's like, yeah, now you get it, Superman, but it's too late. Uh, but yeah. luckily, um, City Boy, the whole story of this issue is him getting it under control, and it's mm-hmm. all tied to his emotions and his like past, because he sees... Yep. Effectively, we see, because Metropolis is where he was abandoned by his mother, we see kind of that memory play out. That, that trauma that is, yeah. you know, formed at who he is. Yeah, it effectively plays out like a sort of memory playing as a ghost, but mm-hmm. obviously it's not literally a ghost. We, we yeah. know that he sees things that have happened because the city mm-hmm. remembers, so it's kind of like it's, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like he's seen a video playback of it via the city's, like, data, <laughs> if that yeah. makes any sense. And so I like there, there's a part here that Superman tells him like you know i know you can communicate but you can't control but you have to know like metropolis loves us as much as we love metropolis and i love that that's superman's wisdom that he grants on here is like the city's not just glass and concrete it's the people and if you can make that connection to this you know metropolis dragon we we can get it back we remind metropolis that the people are it and it's the people you know, uh, I also I, like I, that when Superman talks to, he tries to talk to the concrete dragon. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh, you're Metropolis. I'm going to talk to Metropolis because I love this mm-hmm. city." And he yep. starts, he tries to appeal to it, and yep. it doesn't work. The dragon just right. you know, screams at him, takes off. But yeah, it's this idea that he had a chance to talk to Metropolis like it was mm-hmm. a living thing, but yep. it's like no, only City Boy can do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Yeah. So, uh yeah so that, that kind of becomes what it is and superman's encouraging him to tap in and sort of like deal with his past and and things like that um so yeah his name's cameron which i, I don't think i knew before this issue i forgot yeah, yeah. But uh, so i was i've been since we read the lazarus planet stuff i was wondering when the you know when we first met him in gotham he had that like little trash rat it was a rat made out of trash uh, that mm. represented Gotham. I was wondering when we were going to see something like that again, or if, like, because Metropolis is this big city, you know, you're going to have this class and concrete dragon rolling around, right? So I'm glad that, you know, we got to see something like that come back here. Yeah, although where... the size isn't that important in the sense that, mm-hmm. it, because it, it shrinks, you know, when he gets right. con- control of his emotions, the the, the mm-hmm. size of the dragon shrinks down to probably about the same size of that rat, honestly. It's right. about... about uh, that size right but there's that great full page uh where they go chasing after the dragon and it's, it's on those steps where his mother abandoned him and you get mm-hmm. like superman standing behind him you get the right. dragon head coming in the other side and the, you see the sort of the blue ghost-like images of like the flashback in the middle and it's this just great full page spread like i think i liked issue one quite a bit i thought issue two was a little bit messier but still fun mm-hmm. i think this issue is where it felt like it kind of came together right. yeah. to, to me you know, I, I kind of get what it's doing a lot better, this issue. Yeah, and just the, the idea of, you know, he he just doesn't communicate with the city. He also projects how he feels into yeah. that communication. And I, and I really like that because it, it really adds layers to this kid. You know, it's not just... Because I was wondering how he's any different than that 
and the the city guy that we met in um, Ram V something, right? Who, how he can talk to cities. Uh, and here, because of the you know the new gods of it all, he he leaves his imprint as much as the city leaves its imprint on him. So yeah. I like that it's a two way. And you know, there's that great scene. So after they they see the the memory on the steps, the mum gets in the taxi and starts driving away. Mm-hmm. And this is the flashback taxi. This isn't yeah. really there. But city boy and the dragon like basically fly after the the car. And what's interesting is that when they cross the bridge and they cross the Welcome to Metropolis sign, so they've effectively left the city, the car just disappears. Um, which is very interesting to me how this works in that do his powers only work when something's actually a city? Like, is mm-hmm. a small town not also... Because like, there's still a place outside of Metropolis. Right. Once you've left Metropolis, you're still somewhere. Right. It's not like a vacuum. So I wonder, like, if we're going to get like more of a clarification in time of, like... Is it about size? Is you know? Is that about population? Is it just a sense of like history where enough people have lived here mm-hmm. over the years that all of that energy kind of builds up to create a life form almost kind of thing? Yeah. You know, like what that, is the? That, yeah. Yeah, that could be because I wonder because I know we're it's teasing Bloodhaven next, right? And and how that's going to be, but you got somewhere like um, Keystone and Central City, like right? Like where does one city begin and one end there? Because of the Twin Cities. Um, well, yeah, that's a good question. So, because you know? there are cities that are right next to each other, mm-hmm. like, is it is it the kind of thing where it's not so much that the the area outside the city is like a dead zone? It's mm-hmm. more just that right now he's like synced up with with Metropolis, and he'd right. have to leave and sync up with the new yeah. area, whatever it is, you know. So mm-hmm. presumably the same thing would happen with Central City and Keystone, where right. let's say he's in Central, he's following a memory through Central, yeah. but it drives into Keystone. It would presumably still disappear because he'd have to go to Keystone, then form a connection, right. and then pick up the memory where it left off on that side. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how it works. But you know, either way, like I'm curious if there's going to be more sort yeah, of added to this. There's a lot of potential here for storytelling that way. You know, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Of, of what what it means, like what you're saying, what's the difference between a city and a town? Right. Like, is it the people? Is it the memories? Is it the, you know, the energy of the people that have moved through there? Yeah. Does it only work through cities because the sheer mass of people and energy? Or does it work in a village with like, you know, 25 people? Is that still got the same effect? Can you still talk to that? You know, or like or like what would like Tokyo, which is like nine cities in one megaplex? How would that play out? Right. Because there's so many more people like. Mm. Um, you know, how overwhelming would that be? So I, I like that the Pac's playing with some interesting ideas and potential through this character. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and then the next couple of pages are just silent as he flies back to, to the steps. Yep. Uh, and Superman says he's going to go help, you know, everyone, you know, pick up all this debris. Because you know, the dragon caused a bit of destruction, of course, yeah. as it was flying around. Um, and Superman, you know... He's trying to help him because City Boy talks about how all he sees... Because Superman says everyone's trying their best. And City mm-hmm. Boy's like, no, they're not. I see, like, all the memories of the city. I see people being bad. I see people everywhere, you know, mugging people, being hit by cars. You know, we see, like, some of these things happening in front of him in the blue ghost form. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. So he takes him away from the noise. And I like how Superman kind of relates to this in a weird way because it, yeah. it's kind of like his super hearing. You know, mm-hmm. so he kind of understands, okay, you can't turn this off. That's up high. That's got up to the top of a skyscraper. We were away from the streets. 
and we can have a conversation. So yeah. I like that. I like using Superman to do that. And obviously, Pack knows Superman well. He's written them before. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, ultimately, um, Superman goes off to help everyone, and City Boy leaves. And he does help a little bit, though. I forgot about this moment, actually. Now I'm looking at it again. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a car stuck in the road because the road's kind of like, split apart. And yep. he seemingly uses his powers to like reform the road and get the car back, uh, mm -hmm. sort of up again. Uh, so he, he does help some people, uh, you know. Yeah. But from the shadows, he isn't. He's he's not Superman. He's not going out and doing the the PR. The Superman, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he threatens the guys that work for the the gangster that were threatening mm -hmm. everyone in the first issue, and basically says, "I'll come and eat you and my dragon if you don't yep. uh, stop harassing people." And the book ends with him going to Bloodhaven, which seemingly, uh, much like I was saying earlier, seems to be maybe where the memory picks off. In fact, actually, you know what? Yeah. That entire debate we just had, now that I'm looking at this last page, I, I don't think I caught this the first time I read it. Uh, it seems to be that he's now uh, going in the direction that car went in. So maybe he's doing exactly what we said, where he's yeah. just got, he's gone over the line and he's just going to follow, like, pick up the memory where it left off and this second location and seemingly mm -hmm. i assume the car went to bloodhaven and that's why he's going yeah. to bloodhaven he's tracking where Sur his mother went searching for mom yeah okay so so, so the cool. answer was actually kind of there we just we just didn't uh, we just I forgot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay okay that's interesting um that said though the car still disappears here in this panel on the last page so maybe some of the stuff maybe we were debating still may apply i'm not sure maybe he no maybe he has to talk to bloodhaven and bloodhaven's not as giving as Metropolis, right? Because of the history of Bloodhaven, you know, it was this mm. this port for pirates, and you know, it led to all the gambling and all this stuff. So maybe Bloodhaven doesn't want to share the information with him like Metropolis did. You know, oh, here's the question: Maybe does he just know it's going to Bloodhaven because the car said that or something? I'm just checking. No, there's nothing on the car. I, no, uh, I don't remember. No, oh well. Uh, well I, either either way, though, it's it's all very yeah. interesting. It I, is. It's. You know, it, it's very Jack Kirby in that way, too, where it's playing with these big ideas through superheroes, you know, um, but, but the whole idea of cities and, you know, and, and then we even get the new gods in, in that era. Um, yeah, just, so just, just a touch. Like they're, they're just kind of, you know, just a, a little mm -hmm. smidge of them. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's definitely, it feels like it's a DC type vibe, too. It's, it doesn't have, like, because for me, stuff that, that feels like DC that plays with the history and stuff. This definitely is is leaning onto that. So, I enjoyed seeing Inner Gang show up. It's like, and now, mm. so now, what are we gonna do with with Bloodhaven? You know, how well, deep is is Pack gonna pull from? I, I think what's interesting here is that it is, you know, we were introduced to this character in Gotham and the Lazarus mm -hmm. Planet stuff. We've now seen him in Metropolis, I, and now we're going to Bloodhaven next. I think it is actually quite interesting that we're utilizing the fact that DC has a lot of famous cities that we mm -hmm. can use and sort of explore them this way through this character. I think yeah. the, the power set is very unique, but also just being able to use them this way is also kind of cool. It mm -hmm. makes them stand out as a, you know, a, a more, you know, just individual character. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I think the concept with this issue has really come together in a way. that I mean, I liked mm -hmm. everything before, but it feels like it's really starting to click it yeah. in place now, and I see what we yeah. can do with it. Uh, and he's, he's got more of a goal in a direction now because he's trying to find where his mother went. So it's like, okay, right. he's going to use his way of seeing these memories through the city to track down where she went all those years ago. And it'll probably lead to where she is now if she's alive or if, you know, whatever the case may be. Right. 
Right. So, uh, very interesting. Uh, what are you giving City Boy issue three? I'm going to listen eight. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I think I agree. Uh, good stuff. Uh, not, notably, all the non-Night Terrors books rated higher than all of the mm-hmm. Night Terrors books. Just uh, <laughs> pointing that out. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we get to the end of the show, though, I've got a Patreon book to do. I was going to do two Patreon books, but then I f- I'd forgotten that my next American Vampire was, like, double plus double sized. So uh, I'll do uh, Outsiders next week, but uh, I'm doing American Vampire, The Long Road to Hell, issue one. Um, and just a note on this, because the next issue of this is the 80-page anthology issue one. Uh, with that one, because it is so big, because there's technically a size limit on the Patreon books, I'll yeah. b- because it's an anthology, though, it's actually quite easy to just split it up into two. So I'll be doing about 40-ish pages next month and then 40-ish the month after, which is yeah. way more than I normally do for a regular issue. Right. Uh, so if, well, it's it feels, almost annual length, though, right? Yeah. Like it, it feels fair enough to me. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, that, that's the plan anyway. Uh, so anyway, American Vampire, The Long Road to Hell, issue one. I don't know if I read this before because I did not remember. Like, mm-hmm. nothing in it like clicked. Like, I didn't remember a single thing as I was reading it. But mm-hmm. uh, so this is... Uh, a one-shot uh, set in 1959, uh, so we're getting to the end of that decade now in the timeline, mm-hmm. and it's about this young couple of pickpocketers who are stealing from people at bars and clubs, and they are lured in and turned into vampires uh, in the first few pages. You know, it's classic horror stuff, you know, they're out of the car, this woman comes up to try and proposition the boyfriend, and turns out she's a vampire, and they both get bitten turned. And it turns out the fat European vampire in charge of this area wanted them turned specifically for their thieving skills. You know, to, so he has a couple of thieves that are skilled in his coven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tries to make them kiss his ring, uh, that they're, he, they, they now belong to him, all that jazz. But as this is all going on, some rival vampires uh, jump in and start fighting these vampires because they're arguing about a potential cure. They want to go to Vegas because there's a rumor of a cure. Um, and it's worth mentioning that during all of this, this young couple haven't realized they've been turned into vampires yet. They're just kind of like confused and don't understand what's going on. And they make a run for it. Uh, and it's not until afterwards where they basically are getting like hungry and thirsty. And they're mm-hmm. like kind of like oh it's, it's like my insides are like dry and like I can feel my stomach, like we need to feed on something, um, and sure enough it's this really, uh, dickhead bouncer like a, like a gentleman's club that gives them shit and is mean to them that the 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 girlfriend like grabs and kills and it cu- you know, cut to the next page and this guy's just got his intestines spilled out in the desert and they're both standing there going like what have we done. Because then you know, they're feeling normal again now, right? Mm-hmm. The, you know, the idea that the hunger like turned them into monsters. So all this, all this has been really solid, like character stuff. It's kind of a fun story, and I was into the fact that it was very self-contained so far. It was okay. We're in the world of American Vampire because it feels like those vampires, but we're just following this like standalone story of these two characters, and they don't want to kill people. They they kind of want to only go after assholes and like people who are are bad. And that ties into the second like uh, plot that's going on is that we're interested in this kid who's in an orphanage who is picked on by the other kids and it turns out that he's actually quite good at basically deducing if people are bad. Um, and he gets out of... He's in like solitary confinement because other kids lie about him and say that he started a fight. 
and he tells the guy who's in charge there that his daughter was was killed because she was pushed onto the road by these two bullies and the guy lets him out um so he ends up running away on his own and that becomes important because he ends up running into our two main characters uh uh a garage uh sorry a, a gas station for the americans <laughs> uh so they they run into each other and there's this like abusive husband character yelling at his wife and uh the, the kid's like oh yeah that that guy definitely like beats her up and like abuses her because he's he's recognizing the scratches in the back of her neck the bruises the sunglasses over the black eye things like that and the boyfriend of the couple hears him say this and he's like wait you can tell that and he's like yeah i'm just good at picking out bad people so basically he wants to take this kid with them because he wants the kid to pick out who the bad people are so mm-hmm. they don't have to feel as guilty about who they're killing uh, which is a really interesting concept uh, and sure enough it implies at the end of this scene that they go and you know kill this abusive husband uh, it happens off panel you don't see it but um yeah so you know they're traveling together now um you also see like in the newspaper that this like janitor at, uh the orphanage killed two kids and then himself presumably the guy who was getting revenge for his daughter mm-hmm. uh so super dark stuff um and so yeah they're on their way to vegas because they think the cure is there uh, this couple want to get married as well as find the cure um and then ultimately uh the vampires they ran away from are in pursuit because when they were leaving, they pickpocketed his ring. And it turns out this ring is what gives this vampire the power to rule over the other vampires. It's like his coven legacy ring or whatever it is. So it's actually got a purpose other than just being a really like tacky vanity item. So he's determined to get it back. And they catch up with them at a motel. And it feels like there's about to be a big showdown where the couple may be in over their heads and may not be able to do anything. And this has a heart-to-heart as well, where we find out this kid's never met his dad, and he's hoping to find his dad in Las Vegas. Um, but uh, the vampires show up, and that's where it it crosses over into like continuity stuff, because all these vampires, there's like quick flashes of blood, the art here's really nice, there's just like blood splattered across the panels. And it's uh, Travis, the greaser kid from mm-hmm. the Ark. It was like two arcs ago. It was the one in the 50s with all the, the racing. Death uh, race. Yeah, you had this greaser kid who was just out to kill vampires. And you get this full-page reveal where he's just used a katana to decapitate the head vampire. And it's like it's like a really cool big moment because you realize, oh, we're still in the 50s. It makes sense that he's still doing this. It's kind of his mm-hmm. neck of the woods as well, you know, around the, the, the Vegas area. So... He's standing there, and we have this like awkward thing where he doesn't realize they're vampires, and he's like, oh, get out of here, folks. I- I'll take care of it. Uh, and then he gets back to the car, and he hears over the radio, yes, rumors are these two like murderers who are leaving people without their hearts going across the country are traveling with a young boy about 10 years old. And he's like, shit. So he's in pursuit after these two. And when they get to Vegas, they're getting so hungry that they're worried that they're going to eat the kid. So they basically, oh, no. they, they turn around, they've got their vamp faces on, and they tell him to get out the car for his own good, because they don't want to kill him. And to the point where the girlfriend actually hits him out of the car, just, just to, to protect him from them, uh, more than anything. Um, but uh, this is where Travis catches up with them. There's a great full-page spread where he's jumping with the katana, and like it's a, a low angle looking up at him, and above him is the Welcome to Vegas sign. Uh 
So really nice page, really good stuff. And he slashes the boyfriend, but very quickly, um, you know, the girlfriend's actually got Travis pinned down and he's going to kill him. And she's going to kill him, but then they're like, no, wait, this isn't us. This guy's not bad. He's not done anything wrong. This guy just kills vampires. He's actually, if anything, he's doing the world a pretty big service. And they hand him his gun back and basically accepting that they're going to die. Um, but the kid kind of interjects and says, there's still one thing you should do, you know, for happiness. And the whole issue they've been talking about wanting to get married. So they go to a, you know, a, you know, a quick wedding place. Travis goes in, holds, it, holds the, the officiator at gunpoint and says, you've got one more ceremony before you're done for the night. <laughs> and they get married. And then after they get married and say their vows and kiss, Travis goes in and shoots them both uh, with his wooden bullets or golden bullets, whatever he's using that he uses right. to kill vampires. Um... You, and you don't see it, you just see like this panel of the, the little, you know, fake church and the the, the, the sound effects, the blam blam, as the kid mm-hmm. waits outside and Travis walks out um, and the kid's crying. It's all very sad. It's pouring rain at this point, which how often does it rain in Vegas? I mean, more more than you would think, but... This is not like a, a bullshit thing then. It's, it's... No, no, no. It does rain, especially in the summer. Okay, I get okay. just flooded in the north part of town. But we've gone so long without rain that when it does rain, it hits hard. So, you know, but it's not like Seattle or Portland where it gets gloomy and stays gloomy. It kind of just drops and goes. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, But yeah, it's pouring the rain, a lot of atmosphere. And when the kid shows this photo of who he thinks his dad is, Travis is like, wait, this is this stuntman who died 18 years ago. And you're like, you know, 11 or whatever you are mm-hmm. <laughs> and this count this this literally cannot be your father um and you don't and honestly at this point like i'm not really sure if the kid was like just pretending or hoping or if this was literally someone lied to him and gave him this photo and said this was right. who your dad was uh but travis like says his goodbyes um it says he'll keep an eye on him you know tell him tells him he'd stay out of trouble and then a police officer comes up and says, hey, are you lost, kid? It's late, you're alone. And the final page is him asking to go to the municipal theater, and the last page is a full-page spread with him walking with this officer, but behind him is a giant poster for the fab- fabulous illusionist uh, uh, Tianic, who's at the uh, yeah. the theater doing a magic show. Mm-hmm. So he's going to the magic show. And that's the end of the issue. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's a really solid one-shot. I, I think... It benefits from, like, taking a break from all the characters who are constantly popping up in the story. Obviously, Travis does show up, and that's quite exciting when it does. But Travis is a pretty standalone character, even in the rest of the book, because he's not really mm-hmm. in, he's not really getting involved that much with Skinner, and certainly not with the VMs and all that side of the plot. So having just this plot about this couple who are pickpocketers, but, like, have enough empathy and don't want to kill people... And they're kind of struggling with this. And that's one of the things I didn't mention is that when they get to Vegas and they're talking about looking for the cure, Travis admits that it's not real and that he actually started that rumor to lure vampires to Vegas so he could kill them. Uh, which is actually quite smart <laughs> when you think about it. Make them, mm-hmm. make them all come to him. So that's a fun little detail. Um, but, I mean, the art is is really good. The There's, there's several great full-page spreads. 
Um, obviously the one with Travis having murdered all the vampires, the one where he's jumping in front of the Vegas sign really stand out. The vampires look good. Uh, the colors, you know, it's got that muted uh, sort of cold. Well, not cold. It's kind of warm, but warm in a very sort of neutral way kind of color palette but then you've got the striking reds with the blood like the blood really sticks out because up until that point it's muted oranges it's muted kind of blues for the night time and that kind of thing uh all that stuff looks really good um honestly it's hard to fault it's kind of like it's interesting reading it when you're just sort of going through it and like because because when this came out of course the book was on a break and it was kind of this in-between thing where you didn't really know when you were getting more american vampire and maybe it would have felt like a weird like you were hoping for something more like important to the main story. Yeah, but, feels like a holdover if you're waiting for it. Yeah, but I think when you're reading it just like con- you know consistently in the trades or whatever, I think this is a really fun breath of fresh air and just a fun little romantic horror story. You know, if you like something like Near Dark or you like something, you know, anything like that with that kind of tone, uh, I, I, it's good. It's a good time. Um, but it does feel like it's in the American vampire world because the evil vampires definitely feel like the same vampires that we see all the time. Uh, and obviously Travis showing up. So, yeah. And you definitely get the vibe that Scott Snyder loves the 50s and loves mm-hmm. Vegas and loves Elvis. And I know he loves Elvis because he never yeah. shuts up about Elvis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I love about Scott Snyder. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, there you go. That's Long Road Home. Uh, it is probably long a solid... Oh, yeah. What did I say? He yeah. said Long Road Home. Long Road Home. Sorry. Long Road to Hell, uh, which in the comic is the song that they they, mm-hmm. they like together. Uh, they sing it a few times. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Uh, so next time I'll do the first half of Anthology Issue 1, mm-hmm. um, and we'll do that next month. But uh, that is uh, American Vampire for, for this time. Uh, so yeah, 8.5, I'll give it. Really solid. Nice. And I will nice, recommend nice, nice. it. So that takes out the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, favourite art, and of course, uh, rank our top five books of the week. So Matt, what is your favourite panel slash moment? Um, let's see, there, there's a couple things in Adventures of Superman of John Kent. There's, of course, the hug. Uh, there's there's when he takes uh, Diana to Titan uh, and gets the Lasso of Truth. That was real good. Uh, talking to Damien, another great moment. But um, I'm going to be from Justice Society, and it's when the Justice Societies across time all join up, right? There's a real sure. fun panel uh, of all the different eras coming together to fight pure Degaton, or Degaton as he's known. So, uh, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, there's a couple of things in John Kent that are really tempting. Um, that GSA moment's fun. I think my pick, though, is actually going to be when City Boy's following the car and it disappears mm-hmm. over the bridge. I thought that was a really sweet little sad moment that just did a... It really tied the story together and I kind of got what it was doing in a big way over the course of that entire sequence. But that that ending of that bit especially with the car disappearing I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. So I'll go with that. Uh, cover of the week, I actually... Usually I've got like a handful that I want to point out. I don't really... Yeah. This week, I just have my pick. And my pick Ooh. is the main cover for Just Society of America. That is a, is a beautiful cover with all the heroes sort of flying up above. Um, you're looking up at them. It's gorgeous. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's just it. I don't have anything it's, else. It's very Alex Ross-esque. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's some Alex Ross elements. Uh, it's also, also very Silver Age looking as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, with its, with its uh, soft, like vivid colors. It's just really nice. Yeah. Uh, what's your pick? 
So I, I was going through. I just realized I didn't see if City Boy had any other covers. And it does. It does, but nothing that stands out for me. Um, so mine's gonna be from uh, Poison Ivy. Um, shocking nobody. But there's a couple ones I want to highlight before. Sure. Um, there's one that's the one in twenty-five, uh, Malavia, uh, variant, and it, it's if you take a look at it, it's kind of doing that big smile that I think better uh, here than in the actual book, um, which I like because um, it, it does get the vibe of the book across. But my pick is gonna be the JV McKel or Jamie McKelvey. It's got uh, uh, Pam up against the wall. And it looks like all these, you know, hands from different people. It looks like Nightwings and Batgirls and Harleys spraying her with weed killer. And it's very horrific when you, when you think about it. So, uh, yeah, so that's mine. All right, cool. Uh, what's your art of the week? Uh, is there any answer but Justice Society? I don't. Well, Dexter Soy is really good on the Ravager yeah, book. But, that, that uh, might you know. be a- I mean, I, 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 I'm picking Mikkel Yannan as well, but I just want to point out the Dexter okay. Soy art is very yeah. good. Um, also, the City Boy art was, was decent. Um, I don't think it's up there with Soy. I mean, and, yeah. It's, yeah, it's solid. It, it does what it needs to do. Uh, yeah. There's emotional moments in the book that are definitely work partly because the art mm-hmm. is, is good, good sequencing. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely good. But, mm-hmm. yeah, the Yannan art is just too much to <laughs> compete yeah. with uh, this week, I guess. Although Soy's not too far behind. I did really like Dexter no. Soy's art and uh, mm-hmm. Ravager. Uh, all right, top five books, Matt, go. Uh, one, Just Society. Two, uh, Adventure of Superman. Three, City Boy. Four, Ravager. Five, Poison Ivy. Yeah, uh, my number one is... Just Society. Number two, Adventure of Superman. Number three, City Boy. Number four, Ravager. And I guess by just default, it has to be Batman at number five because that, that's no. the last one, but... Uh, let it be known that uh, yeah, I'm just I'm thankful that we had three non Night Terrors books to yeah. and they were all good. They were all solid, solid issues uh, for various reasons. So that's good. Uh, I'll tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics or Detective Comics Comics, as the the hip kids might say. Uh, we have Superman 2023 annual, so we do have a random issue of one of the regular books, but an annual instead which is weird. Mm-hmm. Was this, was this like maybe delayed from like a week five from before? Maybe. It wouldn't maybe, surprise uh, me. That, that's what it feels like. It feels like it was meant to be in yeah. that fifth week at the end of, I don't know, June or July, whoever had the fifth week. And yeah. it was like, no, we don't have time. So here's, you know, it's just out here now. Uh, but it is Williamson writing. So maybe it's, yeah. yeah. And it's got the gimmick of it's, you know, um, some of the stuff that's been going on in Superman, but through Lois's point of view okay, as the okay. editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet. So That sounds interesting. We'll see how it mm-hmm. fares. Obviously, his Superman yep. run's been a little mixed so far. Yep. Uh, but we also got Night Terrors issue three, so we'll see the next part of the main story. Mm-hmm. We have World's Finest Teen Titans issue two, and we were very positive on the first yep. issue. Uh, in fact, were you here for the first issue? Maybe it was me I and was Connor. not. Oh, well, me and Connor were both very positive on the yes. first issue. Uh, we both said it was better than any of his world's finest Batman Superman stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which we've liked. Obviously, I liked that yeah. a lot, but I think Teen Titans was really good. Uh, then we got Night Terror's Green Lantern issue two. The first one was a complete waste of time, so I don't think I'm going to bother with that. Yeah. Uh, Night Terror's Robin issue two. 
That was a waste of time. I'm not bothering with this. I don't one. remember what that was. What also, was the showing? crowbar. It was. It's Tim and uh, Jason teaming up in the Nightmare Realm, and you know them them dealing with their inadequacies. I do Batman. not remember this at all. Did you read it? I think. I think so. Okay. I don't remember. Yeah. I, I I have no recollection in my Hard. mind of what that is. Hard pass on this one for me. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, that's okay. We got Danger Street issue eight. Yes. Uh, then we got Night Terror Shazam issue two. That's the mm-hmm. first Night Terror, other than issue two, I suppose, uh, mm-hmm. that I am actually going to read. Night Terror's Flash wasn't that good either. So that's okay, probably so I won't catch up on that one then. No. Uh, Night Terror Zatanna. That was better. That okay. that was in the, the the slightly better column. So I'll probably read that. I, so. I, I think, still have that in my two reads, so I can catch up with that one easy. Yeah, well, Zatanna's awake, so it's different from the other ones. Okay. Which is, so, cool. Yeah. Uh, so I will say, yeah, Night Terrors three, and then Shazam and Zatanna are probably all the Night Terrors books that I'll be looking at. I think. Fair. Uh, also, next week is Spirit World issue mm-hmm. four, which you'll probably look at. I imagine. Yeah, um, I caught up on that one. Uh, Batman Incorporated eleven, Wildcats ten. Harley, sorry, Multiversity Harley screws up the DCU issue 6, Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries issue 11, and Mad Magazine 33. So, yeah. So, no, there's a couple of meaty things that next week. We got a Superman mm-hmm. Annie, we got Danger Street, um, we got World's Face Teen Titans, and uh, three Night Terrors books that I think we're, we're going to be looking at. So, uh, so, a similar amount next week, I, I guess. But yeah. m- much like th- uh, this week, there's one or two Night Terrors tie-ins being dropped because I don't want to read the Green Lantern or Robin ones. <laughs> I'm or or Flash. Or Flash. Oh, yeah, oh, God. Actually, you know what? I didn't read the Robin one. I remember it now. The creative, oh, yeah. the creative team was so unappealing that yeah, I just didn't I, bother. That's what it was. It was yeah. one of the books I read when we were on vacation when I was gone. That's right. Um, okay. and, and I read it, and I was like, oh, man. And I warned Connor before. Like, don't. Yeah, okay. I know I, you love Tim. Don't, don't, don't read okay. it. Okay, to be fair to it, I didn't read the first issue because I didn't there like the look of it. I, I'm remembering now. Yeah, but it, I d- it's a lot. If, if the crowbar on the cover tells you everything about the first <laughs> issue. It, it, so. it tells me everything to know that it's just the same as the other books where it's just doing the, the, the broad, overplayed mm-hmm. beats of the characters, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, that said, I did read Green Lantern and Flash last month, and they were yeah. both very, very skippable and meaningless. Yeah. So. Green Lantern very much upset me. So yeah. it was a complete yeah. waste of time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and you weren't here for that, so I'm glad you also thought it was a waste of time because me and Connor yeah. tore it to pieces. Oh, yeah, not knowing that you guys had done that, I read it and I was like, "Oh my god, Adams, what are we doing?" It's just a waste of time. Because I usually trust him; he's he's built some trust through, and just oh man, I, I, I hate it because I yeah I, I don't blame caught him. up. Like, for, I went from reading uh, Green Lantern two, which I was behind on, mm-hmm. to to the the. Uh, night terrors and i could have gotten my flash yeah and 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 for the record i do not blame him it's a it's obviously this event he has to do these tie-ins for it does not make me in any way not less excited for his issue three when we get back to the main book it's just what it is and Mm -hmm. you know that's that but anyway that's the show that has been episode Mm -hmm. uh three six eight i think i said at the start i hope that's right uh but that is college in the multiverse let us know what you thought of Mm -hmm. course you can get us on Twitter, or X, as we're calling it now, apparently. I'm not calling it that. <laughs> not even if there's a fire. Uh, that's at DC Comics Podcast. And, of course, you can support the show and help keep it coming by going to patreon.com slash TV and supporting us uh, for however much per month. At $5 and up, you get the show a little bit early, uh, late in the Saturday whenever it's ready and out of the oven. 
uh, versus whatever. I mean, the best way to look at it is probably that it's there for you when you wake up on the Sunday as opposed to waiting yeah. the start time, depending on your time zone. If you're on the West Coast, I suppose it's not too late on a Saturday, but, uh, you know, yeah. UK time, it's after midnight every every Saturday. Look, I'm, I'm getting up there in my age, and if it's something's dropping late at night, I'll just wait till the next day. Mm. That's just me. Uh, but some people want, want our hot takes, Matt. They, they need them yeah. as quickly as they possibly can, and that's, uh, you know. So, anywho, that's the show. Thank you very much for joining us, everyone. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time for more Night Terrors, unfortunately. But, Danger Street... And Mark Wade, World's Finest Teen Titans. There's good stuff yes. coming. So uh, we'll see you for that. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force. Mm-hmm.